Hey, what's up, people? Welcome to episode 25 of the Sonic Cloth podcast. It's your boy Jamil out here. Um, I hope everyone out there is doing well. I want to shout out any um, first-time listeners who've been kind of lured in by today's topic and rabbit hole. I've actually been looking forward to bringing you all this episode for a while. It's one that I've, I've wanted to do for a long time, maybe even since the the origin of the podcast, because it's, it's such a big uh, rabbit hole for me. But today we're going to be going down um, another record label rabbit hole, and, and this time we're taking on the mighty Profound Lore label. This is a, a metal and dark music label that has, I'd say, almost single-handedly shaped my taste in a lot of metal and extreme music. Uh, but I'll stop myself there. There's going to be uh, plenty of praise to kind of heap on this episode. So if you're looking for like an objective or like skeptic take, like definitely not the place. Um, I'm definitely a certified uh, fanboy through and through. Um, so like the other uh, label episodes I've done on this show, I never feel like I can tackle them alone. So I've brought on now two-time guest Phil from the always reliable Phil's Breakfast Metal podcast. Hello there. <laughs> How's it going, Phil? Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. They, they, as you say, this is a really exciting one to do because Profound Law feel like one of those labels that just has a, a certain weight to their discography now. They, they're sort of a, a staple of interesting music for the last decade or so, and at least in my life at any rate. For sure, yeah. I mean, we, we could have done this episode probably five years ago and had plenty to talk about, but they've really solidified themselves like a, like up until this point. So, um, yeah, plenty to talk about. Thanks a ton for coming on the show. Uh, glad we can make this happen. Oh, no problem at all. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. So just a little bit of background, um, just if you've been with the show for a minute, Phil and I took on the uh, another label. I don't know how long ago that was. Do you remember? It's at least a it year. It was like late, I think it was like summer 2020 we did it. Wow, that long ago? Yeah. <laughs> wow, how do I only have 25 episodes? <laughs> that really makes me feel self-conscious, but whatever. <laughs> so we did the Ivoid Hanger label episode. Um, that was a crazy one. I think it went on for like over three hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a bit uh, taxing probably for the listeners. But, you know, like last time, um, we're going to be double releasing the episodes um, both on this feed and on the Phil's Breakfast Metal feed. So please, if you're not subscribed to Phil's Breakfast Metal, do that right now. And uh, this time, I'm going to try and trim things down a bit. So this kind of defies the uh, the objective of the show, which is deep listening. But um, just because of, of track links and everything, I'm going to do song snippets for this one. And I'm not going to do like 30 seconds. Like I'll, 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 I'll pick and choose like a nice... A nice chunk of the song to put in and i'll try to give you the juicy parts you know the, the the sick riffs and all that stuff but you know there's no substitute for full-length tracks and the accompanying albums i mean really like when we're talking about when we pick out a track here i think phil we're talking about like it's sort of a uh microcosm of the album right like we want we want people to go to the album and then go to and then go to the artist yeah thinking almost every song we've picked by maybe one or two they are like sort of songs that just sit as part of an album they're very weird they'd be very weird to take totally alone beyond like the sampling you'll get in this episode i'd say yeah yeah i definitely agree um so uh the, you know the, the the name of the game is the same thing phil chose uh, four tracks from the profound lord discography and i chose four tracks and yeah, uh, I think we're I think we're basically gonna get into it. We're going to talk a little bit about the label itself, kind of before we get into these tracks. So, so Profound Lore Records. In your digging, uh, Phil, what's what what would you say is like the story with this label? Do you have a sense into like the who, the where, the when of Profound Lore? So yeah, that like it, the sort of Wikipedia cites them as a label that started as like a fun project in two thousand and four, and mainly the project of this this one guy. 
and I don't know how much this like sort of sort of appeared on your radar, but like they have they've got a fair few releases. If you go back to sort of two thousand four, I think there are a lot of like represses and stuff. They're um, apparently their very first uh, release was uh, Melakesh's Ziggurat Scrolls, and that and then like probably most high profile early one in two thousand five, they put out Agalox and the Mantle, which feels like one of those. You're kind of starting to get a feel for what's on that label with this stuff. Like, their early releases, or at least my experience with them, was a twofold thing of weird black metal. Sort of weird, like, normally not really super avant-garde, but just a slightly odd take on black metal, often in a very emotional direction, like, sort of very soulful stuff. Um, and then sort of a lot of, like interesting heavy metal influenced bands as well like that strange crossover you sort of get of those those two genres um kind of interact i think the main guy behind it's uh chris bruni or uh, brunei i don't know how you pronounce his surname but he's kind of kept this going and it started up as say as like a fun project and then became his kind of his job essentially and he he seems to have like moved from being this kind of slightly out there label to for my kind of recollection around 2010, they suddenly were just everywhere. They're, mm-hmm. they're, I don't know quite what he did, but he does seem to be some kind of like a marketing guru for this stuff. Like he he has been able to either ride this wave of like the explosion of um, black metal in America or has possibly even influenced it and been one of the catalysts for it. Alongside mm-hmm. obviously Death Heaven's Sunbather is like... Sort of the ground zero for the American newer black metal explosion, but Brown Law seemed to have just sat there and and followed that road along. There's a lot of their stuff turns up in the like the USBM book and stuff like that. So yeah, what what's your kind of like experience with the with the label? Um, so yeah, I was trying to kind of think about my my first experiences with it, and and then kind of be, right before I get into that, like I I when I was doing research for this, like looking at Metal Archives discography, I found the same thing you did in that a lot of the in, initial releases were were like um sort of accompanying like uh, releases where where Profound Lore would take on like a CD version or a vinyl version of like you know those a big Agalock record, um, the Zaster Leviathan split. I don't know that a lot of these albums. And releases are like being singularly released by Profound Lore. I think a lot of the times it's kind of like he's taking on a format or a version or or a part of it. Because I know the mantle, I think the original label there is the end. Like all the early Agalock stuff was on the end records. So it it seems to have started off that way. I mean, like one of the one of them is Profound Lore put out Alsace's debut album, but I don't think they have the full rights to it. I I believe it was just like the um, just like a particular uh, version of it or format of it, right? Yeah, so all Alsa's stuff is on uh, Prophecy Productions, but I think um, I think Profound Law maybe did a lot of their like American distribution. Yeah, they seem North to be American. well involved with like ev- like they they put out Amateurs as well. Um, yep. I, I I don't know whether they were just like the American side of that distribution and Prophecy did you? I no idea quite how that breaks down, but yeah, they seem to do a lot of like certain format issues of these albums and a lot of albums that are considered modern day classics by today's standards i mean agalock the mantle i mean that's a lot of people's favorite agalock album disaster leviathan split is like legendary got over blood inside there was a profound lore a release of that knocked mystium's instinct decay another 
like really huge album and then you know asunder works will come undone those are just on my short list of like i think mo like almost modern day classics like in terms of being released but uh, yeah i think i think you're right i think it's you know either a format thing or a north american distributorship which is a little bit of a, a different thing than actually you know signing a band for a release and doing all of the legwork behind all of the marketing and and everything else and kind of taking the band like into your roster i don't know that these bands are technically part of like profound lore's roster at this point I think the the part where they sort of start becoming part of the roster is around um, sort of 2008, 2009 is when, like, my sort of, like, so I went back in my collection and found the first release I got from Profound Law was Portal's second album, uh, Ultra, which um, I don't think I was aware who Profound Law were when that came out. So that's the first one I sort of picked up. But what they really, for me, like, they had a soundtrack to when I graduated uni, getting the bus to work, I seemingly looked back and I was like, oh, like, the, my entire soundtrack for a year was all the Profound Law <laughs> stuff that came out. Stuff like Dawnbringer's Nucleus, um, mm. Impetuous Ritual, um, Agalox's Marrow of the Spirit, Slaufeg, Animal Spirits, like all of these. I think um, like Devil's Blood's first few releases yep. all drops between like 2008 and 2010 were just like this year of listening for me. And that's when I became sort of aware of the label as sort of a... A thing i was like oh there's a connection between these bands yeah so portal you would say like if you had to pick one portal outro was really the the one that sucked you into everything else well that's that's just the i think that's the first thing i bought by them by a good few years because that was that was back like so i was saying like that i think i got end of first year of uni and then like three years like three years later from that was when i was big into the label and suddenly had a, an idea who they were yeah, and at that point you're discovering profound lore in its infancy. So if you're if you're the type of person, and I think you are, Phil, because it's a lot like me in that like <laughs> you you love the label, you love everything you've heard on the label so far, as min as minimal as it has been. You start just paying attention to everything they're releasing, and it's manageable because you know you're only talking about uh, you know you know under maybe under 15 releases per year, or maybe even less at this at this point. So it's it's easy to just keep track of like all the new stuff that comes out versus doing something like Eye Void Hanger, which I discovered you know. Years years into the into their into you know them being around and then just having to like go back and, <laughs> and look at like what the early days of it were so yeah I, I like I love that both of us are kind of like have been tuned into profound lore since the beginning I think it offers us a kind of more expansive kind of context yeah yeah and I, I think that that feels like just before they sort of really blew up as a thing whereas like it seems to be around 2015 they were suddenly very much a dominant force like one of the big labels in what I'd loosely term extreme metal, I guess. For sure. Yeah, that, you know, that that early, I was looking at those early first couple years um, of Profound Lore. And also the other thing I, I made a mistake of doing is I just went to the Profound Lore's band camp and kind of judged that as like the totality of the releases. But that's that's a fraction actually of the release it's probably majority of them i'm sure it is but i think the um the band camp reflects more of like the true tried and true roster um at different points of profound lore of course bands like have left profound lore and come back to it and and veered in and now it seems like it's like sing i don't know how the business is set up or whatever it's none of my business really but you know it seems like it's just like handshake like you know one out let's do this one album together versus like you know I don't know, a bigger label like Century Media Relapse or something like wanting to do multiple, expecting multiple albums from a particular label, trying to lock them into something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, the, you know, those early days, like the, the stuff that I saw that w where there was like really um, 
a trend maybe is like um do you know ryan lipinski he was in um thraldom and the howling wind um, no i'm not aware of him unearthly trance um he's like he's uh, like okay. a, a new york guitarist like mostly in like the extreme doom kind of territory and i just noticed that profound lore was putting out a lot of a lot of stuff that he was involved with and then you had stuff like portal of course those early portal albums uh wold cobalt um was kind of there in the very early days as kralis also like I think they put out their first two albums a year apart from each other, like on Profound Lore. So th- those came out. Another group called Kana, who I don't know if is around anymore, but was kind of like a very experimental, like atmospheric kind of black metal band. But for me, like the 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 Kralis self-titled debut was my first, my first exposure to the label, along with Cobalt's Gin, and and I don't know. I don't know how I even got turned on to those, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like um you know, NPR was covering it or something along those lines. Cause this was 2009 or so. Um, and, and, and I remember like at this time I was kind of graduating from like stuff like Slayer and, and even Agalock and like high and fire into this more esoteric, darker, more progressive territory. And I really credit profound lore for like introducing me to so much adventurous and uncompromising heavy music. I mean, that was really like, that, that was really the catalyst for me to like really expand, expand my taste, like stay and stay firmly in like the metal world, but like be listening to artists that have, you know, quite grand or, or out there uh, visions of what they can do sonically. So I, you know, I don't think I've listened to more releases on, on any other single label. Um, and it's largely, I think that's a quality of, of profound lore having this like very rare quality where if it comes out on the label, it has, I think it has a certain stamp of quality to it, even if you don't, even if you don't end up jiving with it. Yeah, yeah, because like, equally, like I remember coming across Cobalt's Gin just because of like a, an incredibly favourable review in Terrorizer, and it was that thing of hearing it and going, I've never heard anything like this before. This is something truly unique. just one of those it, it captured something that i'd never heard before and it was like okay i've connected that to this label a couple of times so i just sort of trust them now on on releases that come out from them yeah absolutely and if you were if you were just around during the very early stages i mean i would say some of the most uncompromising stuff that profound lore has ever put out were in the first couple of years i mean <laughs> yeah. portal even if you like death metal portal is not a given like at all you know what <laughs> oh, i mean no. <laughs> Uh, you know, there, there, there's a few other ones like Wold and, and just, just a lot of really noisy, like death metal and black metal that are coming out uh, very early on. Um, and, and, you know, like if we fast forward to what Profound Lore might be a, a lens from right now, looking back at Profound Lore and what their legacy was, I think you I think you should put Portal in there in terms of the label really being instrumental and in kind of launching the career of the band. I mean, I, I'm not taking anything away, obviously from the artists and, and their artistry and everything like that, but having a home is like, can really, really help. It can really, can really assist with that. So I think I just made a, a quick, like short list. I think profound lore, it's undeniable, but I mean, argue with me if you, if you think any of these are not the case, like it has launched the career of, of a really, a lot of beloved bands. And I'm thinking of stuff like Paul Bearer, um, Sabrosa, Portal, Artificial Brain, 
Bell Witch, Full of Hell, Lingua Ignota. I mean, these are all, these are all, if you're in the extreme metal world, like you should, you probably know like majority of those artists, you know? Yeah. And I, I think if you like generally with that group, if you take the kind of harshness of their sound, like Artificial Brain have quite a reach for a band that are so, you know, like there's a lot of barriers to entries. Like Will's vocals mm-hmm. are not like <laughs> most people's first <laughs> choice for death metal. Like, that is a, that's a learning curve, and I think by virtue of being on a label, I think their first one's like that 2014, um, being on a label where people trust, okay, there's going to be something a bit deeper here, it didn't get assigned to the bin of, oh, it's just more slam. People took the time, learnt like, the cool weirdness in there, and yeah, they, I, I think that definitely has, has got to have helped bands like this. I'm, sh- I'm sure that's why I'm such a big Artificial Brain fan in the first place, was because it was on my radar very early on because of that label connection. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew about Artificial Brain before I knew about, like, Afterbirth or even, I think there's a couple of Revocation members or one Revocation member, like, I didn't... Yeah, they're, um, they're like, ma- I think main songwriter also plays in Revocation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the, the tunnel vision sometimes that Profound Lore can provide. Like, <laughs> it's such a diverse uh, uh, environment for new and interesting extreme metal like you can just kind of stick to the label and feel like you're getting you're getting the full breadth and like (laughs) start ignoring other labels um as well of course i wouldn't recommend that like if you're if you're ready to listen but i'm just i'm just i think that speaks to um you know the label owner chris is sort of like a commitment to a diversity of music of boundary pushing music um and he's he's an interesting guy i i kind of tried to like find some more information about him look at interviews and stuff there's just there's just not a whole lot he seems like kind of a low-key guy kind of does like lets the music do the talking uh based out in like the ontario area of canada as well if you're on the outside like me like he just doesn't seem like an like a a metal like extreme metal like insider guy i'm sure he knows everyone but kind of just like low profile kind of interesting yeah yeah i i know very very little about him i had the same thing you did of taking sort of a quick look to find out stuff i was like oh i I don't think there's a lot to to find which that's cool i mean the 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 label speaks for itself i guess yeah absolutely i did i did watch one interview with him on on youtube and i I think he said that a couple times throughout he's like i just let the music do the talking like what do i I need to like go on and like talk talk about and stuff like that you know i think there's also there's just so many profound lore releases that at this point are either regarded as classics or like well on their way to becoming classics that people will be listening to years um and i don't want this to necessarily get into an honorable mentions because this is more like what's in the canon of heavy music versus like what you like love and what you attach yeah. to all those obviously can be the, those can obviously fall be the same thing too but i mean do you think like bro, are there any releases that you're aware of or that you like kind of considered that i you think are classics to this day or or maybe ones that are gonna just become classics so i think there's there's like about two in our list i think are ones that will have that kind of legacy that goes long beyond there's a few earlier ones we didn't get to i think stuff like ludicrous the tenant is an album that kind of dipped a little under the radar, I think, when it first came out. But that band seemed to have got very well respected in in kind of their absence. I know they briefly reformed for some shows, but like yeah, them being away for 10 years has kind of grown their legend a lot. I think some of those early Portal releases, their, their influence on music that isn't quite as hard to, um, to get into since, like them being very much... Um, 
seen as the one of the start points for that dissonant death metal, dissonant black metal sound is going to yeah. be a big thing. And the one, the, the name I'm going to really struggle with that I reviewed on my podcast the other day, um, I think, I, I hope this starts like this kind of trajectory, but um, Abyssal's uh, Anti-Catastasets, um, or yeah. however you say that one, that strikes me as another like similarly to Portal for people who are deep into that very progressive, avant-garde, dissonant, extreme metal sound. I think that album's going to have staying power. It's only 2017, so like time will tell on that release, but I feel that's going to stick around. I've seen lots of people put that up as like their like uh, the the blog machine music i think held that up as like their favorite album of the last decade which um wow yeah this says, says a lot for it i love that album too I, th- I i think that that album is is extremely underrated and i'm and i'm happy to hear that there are that there is sort of a, a buzz about it and, and sort of uh you know launching it up and holding it up as a potential modern classic although you're right it's 2017 it just hasn't been that long yet yeah i'm with i'm with you on the on ludicra too i could be wrong i believe they broke up kind of soon after the tenant came out. i think it was almost yeah i think they broke up in 2012 and the tenants like 2010 and i think it wasn't like a busy few years around that yeah exactly and um you know their their pre their earlier work i love as well but there's just something special about the tenant in terms of its cohesiveness and its sound and and bringing everything in bringing all these disparate influences in into like kind of you know like a post black metal kind of thing um yeah i i agree with you on all that i think cobalt's gin could potentially go down as a serious classic as well I would totally agree with that. I, I think that one is has got a kind of legend status now, and it's been really helped by, let's say, that the USBM book has sort of pumped the profile of a few releases like that again. And yeah, I think you're quite right on that one for sure. And I think it's it's hard with Kralis because um, I I think they have so many albums at this point, but I do think there's something special about their first three albums where they were fully kind of entrenched in this type of long form like a very hypnotic kind of black metal and they weren't you know they they have their influences of course as well but i mean this was happening in the late like 2008s 2009s like there wasn't a whole lot of that style of black metal happening at the time and i do think that they really added this like mathy quality to to black metal i so i i I couldn't pick necessarily a kralis early kralis album because i think all three are like equally as amazing but just kind of that first early those first three kralis albums that came out of profound lore i think are are still or even to this day like very very uh heralded and and put up yeah i, th- I think kralis are one of those bands that are almost more legendary just as the band rather than an individual track or album is, is yeah seems to be the impression i get with them just constantly forward pushing like uh don't look back at, at previous works and, and especially these days i mean i can't even keep up with them anymore but i remember i do remember hearing an interview with chris bruni where he was like yeah kralis just wants to do a new album every six months and i just do not have like the infrastructure for that whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> i imagine any any label would respond pretty similarly yeah that, that's gonna be difficult to to sort of organize around a band who are just that prolific well, and Colin Marston, you know, they got the studio right there. So um, it makes total sense for them to be like complete, like totally DIY independent at this point and just go at their own pace. Another one that you mentioned, Nagalok, Mirror of the Spirit, that was a straight up profound lore release. Um, they, own, they owned the, uh, I think, all of the formats for that, at least in North America. 
I remember listening to your your Agalock episode, and I, I know some pe- for some people, Mirror of the Spirit is their favorite Agalock album. Um, it's certainly like marked marked a shift in their thing, but that album got a ton of press when it came out, oh, and there yeah. were that was like I think Agalock at the height of their kind of popularity and powers, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that felt felt like the point where like people were going back and checking out the the older albums, and like that was the. The real jumping on point and I, I don't know how much that's to do with the sudden appearance of Aesop Decker on drums giving you mm. this kind of I don't know almost a sense of professionalism or make it sound like a live band's probably a fairer way of saying that it really felt like a full project where they had like this quite powerful drumming force behind them for the first time yeah absolutely and and, and Aesop's got his his footprints on a lot of the, the profound boy <laughs> stuff he's gonna appear a few <laughs> more times as, yeah he's on the tenant as well I forget <laughs> Yep, and then the other the other couple that I made mention of, I think Yob's "The Great Cessation" came out on Profound Lore. This wasn't the album that launched Yob into the popularity that they have now. I think their two relapse album, most recent relapse albums, are really what catapulted them to like a, a, you know these rising kind of doom stars. But that album did did definitely elevate the band, and that was one of the earliest releases that I got into as well and i think i think that's a magnificent album one of one of the best in their discography yeah i i think it has the issue that as you say of the thing that clearing a path to the set uh, send was the point where i was like they were just suddenly on the map and they were like getting reviews in like just major music press outside of the world of like like metal and that so they the the great sensation while almost an equally good album just always will sit like slightly behind it <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And then like a couple others, like Evokens, Atramores. I mean, they've released the second album on Profound Lore too, but that was you know a little bit of a comeback album in a lot of ways. Uh, really, probably broke them out from just like purely a death doom, funeral doom type like fan interest and and whatnot. So um, you know, that's I I remember Chris really like with his posts and stuff, just being so excited and proud to be putting out that Evoken album. Yeah, that feels because something we haven't really touched on is is quite a lot of what Profound Law do isn't like legacy acts like that. Like Evoke and we're, we're going to cover a song off that album, so we'll get to this more. But they've been around a while, whereas most of the bands we're mm. sort of talking about didn't form before the year two thousand. Like they like a lot of them formed about the same time as the label. They're they're one yeah. of the rarer sort of yeah old like old school acts that are with them. Yeah, I think Leviathan is another one in that category. That's an old school act. He put out an album called True Traitor, True Horror on Profound Lore that I know has a little bit, <laughs> a bit of a controversial um, <laughs> story around it and a very muddy story. I don't know all of the details, but um, it's it's honestly like I love Leviathan and that's, that's one of my least favorite Leviathan albums. It's, it's not a great one. And yeah, the controversy around it means like it, I'm never listening to that album again, I think. <laughs> yeah, but Scar Sighted, the, the one that came after, was, was a huge was a huge release for for leviathan and i know that that's another one where where the uh, chris the founder was just like so excited to be put to be putting something out and of course that leviathan zaster like split was really was i think one of the first three or four releases profound lore had their hands in as well so yeah that's another that's another one a lot of that west coast experimental black metal just had just has its dna like running running through this label i think and it's, it's interesting actually because what we're we're covering and i think this might be virtue of what we've each sort of covered recently we're not doing a lot of the black metal side of this label like Mm-mm. so far in this conversation we've made it sound like that's the meat of them but it'd be quite fun when we get to our picks to show 
the kind of variety of genres on the label. Well, we could even talk about that right now. I mean, I kind of like sectioned uh, Profound Lore off a little bit in my mind into like, you know, black metal, death metal, doom metal, kind of like heavy metal, and then a, a, a sixth category, which I should not be putting all these artists into one category, but <laughs> I, I just called it kind of really experimental stuff and progressive stuff that's in the metal camp. And then you have stuff that really is not metal at all that, that has come out on the label, mostly in more recent years, I would say the last three or four years. But um, let's talk Let's talk about like Profound Lore and Death Metal because I don't think this label gets its due yeah, on, on the Death Metal front. I mean, they, they, they're talking stuff that's down the test of time. They've, we've mentioned those Artificial Brain albums, but it's also like they had that really good of Feather and Bone release from the other year that it's like an absolute yeah. sort of brutal masterpiece. Stuff like um, Impetuous Ritual as well, which is not going to be for everyone, but... Um, no. Oh, and I grave my asthma as well. I forgot about those be- those guys being on there who are another of that like really um, pushing the boundaries of kind of I don't know that extreme occulty kind of sound. Yes, I feel like look you can't define like the type of death metal that that Profound Lore puts out, but I will say a good chunk of it tends to be this really murky, really nasty stuff that. Um, I think is compared to a lot of the catchier and groovier death metal stuff that's been popular, really popular over the last five, six, seven years. I can't think of any a profound lore band that really falls into that that category, that particular category of old school death metal. This is all, I mean, like I, I made a, a short list, like Crucifist, Impetuous Ritual. I think they're are they Australian? Yeah, well, they're they're there's they're some of the guy. They're like the two guitarists from Portal. I think um, if I'm not uh, breaking right. breaking trade secrets, giving that away. <laughs> Sure, and Stargazer too. I mean, you've got you've got an Australian death metal kind of like little little family, like yeah, uh, yeah. active family ha- happening there. Grave Miasma, Vasileth, uh, Mitochondrian even put out a record. I mean, this is all er, like late to like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. This all predates the huge rise in death metal, like com- completely. Yeah, and a lot of these bands are ones that went on to have like a real legend around them. But I think at the moment they dropped, they weren't. They weren't huge phenomenons when they were putting out those albums, but in like sort of touring them since, I certainly Grave Miasma, a band that I saw live, and that was when it clicked of like, oh, this this is incredible. Like, and I, I think they've they've sort of ended up with more of a legacy and being on that base of Profound Law, where all their music's you know very readily accessible. It um, yeah must have helped them a lot for sure. Um, I think that I, I I'm so bad at pronouncing this. You, you probably know this one. You know, Cathelis. Cathelis, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a pretty pretty popular like breakout kind of album that that was happening at the same time that a lot of the there was kind of a, a renewed love of a lot of the Finnish death metal yeah great old school <laughs> stuff that was coming out too so that was good timing yeah Filtergast really like dropped that project at the right moment of something that was taking a big like Demilich influence and uh, yeah running with that sound big time yeah. Yeah, and then you, you got stuff like Pissgrave, uh, Abyssal, like you were saying, uh, Mortiferum, Cosmic Putrefaction, um, as well. So they're still they never stopped putting out death metal. I think, I think he, he the, the label um, owner Chris might just be very kind of picky about the kind of death metal that he wants on the label. Yeah, as it was you say, he has not touched the OSDM revival outside of maybe you could call Kefelis that maybe like, but I feel that's that's unfairly pitching holding them. Yeah, I know. I, there's some people I'm sure that that love 
gatekeeper and all and that type of like you know sound that that probably would appreciate them but they're i mean at the same time i could see that being a a point of a point of difference they're they're so progressive and strange (laughs) really really odd music (laughs) yeah yeah that one took a long time um and and you know like you're saying black metal like i think profound lore gets really gets slotted obviously as like a black metal label but honestly very few like straight ahead black metal albums you know there's not a lot of like second wave like worship kind of stuff happening or or just like kind of raw punk black metal um aside from i'd say that spectral wound album from a couple years ago which oh yeah really really like i I was surprised at how popular that album became amongst a whole lot of people but not surprised because the quality of the music i think that that's a really fun solid black metal album but it is kind of like you know classic black metal i would say yeah it, it it's not it not necessarily doing anything that new but people latched onto that in a big way last year like that really went down well and like i, I know people have been like their, their tour has been fairly sold out following it and that like yeah it's, it's really cool but yeah as you say that's the only one because in my head i always connect pro- profound law black metal means you're going to get some weird twist on the formula you're going to get the thing that you get with something like cobalt where it's mixing it with a lot of other influences or oh, like Ludicro where it just sounds different in some way. Or it's like almost hard to call black metal for whatever reason. It, it is. It's hard to call it any, any one thing. It's just one of those instances where it's just maybe better just to call it a metal of some kind. Um, what about Doom in Profound Lore? Because I think Doom is the maybe the other genre micro, or subgenre besides uh, black metal that Profound Lore has really become well known for. So what fascinates me about their kind of take on Doom is it doesn't, they don't really have one. They seem to do bits from all over it. You get, like we mentioned, a Vulcan of very classic traditional funeral Doom, but then you've got, like, you know, like the, the stuff that's very, very the extreme end of sludge music, which is, you know, those those are two very different crowds of fans. And then you've got, like, the kind of classical, like, you know, the, the Slough Feg um, kind of heavy metal meets Doom stuff, mm-hmm. like that kind of, and a lot of the occult rock, which is also, like, bands like Occultation are a mm-hmm. Doom in, in a sense as well. Uh, Devil's Blood, maybe. But, like, yeah, it's sort of like, this is, like, the full... Like the the whole triangle of you can of all the different things you can be in Doom of like a death metal influence, a heavy metal influence, or like the sludgy kind of post rock, post hardcore influence, like which are quite different camps of fans normally. At any rate, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think even if you're into the stoner kind of like really Sabbathy kind of stuff, I mean, you've got uh, Yob and Paul Bear, which I think are rooted in the Sabbath sabathian style of doom but are definitely take like taking it to um to other places that that i don't think like anyone <laughs> who was around in sabbath time would would have would have um thought but also not veering inc- too far from it to where it's not recognizable anymore and yeah you're right like if you want funeral doom i mean yeah you've got you've got uh evoken innumerable forms i think even loss and Bellwitch are, yeah. are gonna are gonna hit the mark for you there and then, yeah, you're right. Like, sub, you know, I think Subrosa, Bloody Panda, you've got this kind of like progressive, kind of like sludgy kind of stuff that's really, really interesting too. So they, they just hit it out of the park with like the three main like subgenres of extreme metal. Like you're, you're, you're covered no matter what. And I don't think, I mean, I'm going out on a limb, but I don't think Profound Lore listeners go go to Profound Lore for like one genre. I think they're, I think it's been a label that has helped people 
expand into and dip their toes into like all of this all of the subgenres of metal and like what it can offer because it provides such like expansive and adventurous like examples of all those things yeah i think you're totally and i'd say that that was my personal experience with the label is it's been the one that sort of got me into a lot of styles i wouldn't have previously tried like uh, yeah by that sort of period in my early 20s getting really into them i was trying out stuff i probably wouldn't have gone gone near before yeah i'm also glad you mentioned that that slow fag um album ape uprising i love that record and and also i'm very stoked you mentioned that Dawnbringer album the first time oh yeah <laughs> i love that album i think that that's uh that's an overlooked piece of uh again that album is everything it's heavy metal it's black metal it's speed metal it's like kind of almost cheesy like power metal in some places. oh yes yeah. fully like fantastic ridiculous concept album stuff like yeah like the, the Dawnbringer like catalog particularly for me nucleus and into the layer of the sun god albums i listen to all the time i absolutely obsessed with them but they're really as you say really hard to pigeonhole of like They've just got a bit of everything going on. They do. They do. Um, and, and you don't have a lot of this like straight up heavy metal on the label, to be honest. It's, it's, it tends to be more like extreme sounds. But um, Slewfag, even Hammers of Misfortune released yeah. a double album as well, which is John, you know, John Cobbett's band, you know, Ludacra connection there, obviously. Um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, you're, 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 it's not like the home for like traditional heavy metal and stuff like that, but it's got, it's got plenty of, uh, plenty of great, um, uh, releases there um and then there's a lot of like there's a lot of arty and 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 experimental like post-metal kind of stuff on there i mean and grind like full of hell i think full of hell really made their name on on the label um with a couple of those releases um old man gloom as well sumac's first album is on profound lore Pyra- that pyramids album is on there you got newer stuff like um dreadnought and uh wayfair and uh i don't know how to pronounce this one avaturn have you heard that album from this no year? i'm not i'm not remotely familiar with that one so it's another like kind of like a very cold like industrial blue dust nord type uh, album that's come out that I, it's my favorite uh, album from profound lore um this year for sure ah cool The, the kind of last category, I think, is kind of like really out there stuff. Like like Profound Lore uh, put out albums by Dilek, who are like a rap group, like an industrial rap group. Um, you got Lingua Ignota, who is is by no means like uh, straight up like extreme metal. You got goth bands like Pop 1280 and Vora. So different kind of like goth rock and stuff has popped up on the label too. So the label has expanded not just from like a tastemaker and extreme metal, but also just into kind of dark stuff in general. And, and it wasn't a pivot. It was just like, I'm going to continue releasing all this forward thinking, great metal that, ever, that you know, people are so into, but I'll just going to pepper in all this other kind of like dark and, and weird stuff in there as well. Yeah, it's quite fun that you get the odd release from them. And you're like, this is not what I was expecting. Like I had a, quite a broad category. I thought this could be in. And no, it surprised me even in that. It makes sense though, you know, like, you know, you know, the 20 bucks spin label, like if 20 bucks spin put out like, you know, something that was just not at all like metal 
in, in the slightest. Like I would be, uh, I think I'd be a little more like, whoa, wait, whoa, like what's, what's <laughs> going on? What's going on here? But but with profound lore, I don't know. It just it just seems to make sense. And again, like labels should should put out whatever whatever the hell they want, of course. Like, mm. but yeah, I I think what what I'm getting at with all these different genres is there's just so many classics that are already like kind of under its belt and. The labels just continues to churn them out. For me, like the golden era might have been, if I had to pick one, was kind of between 2012 and 2015. And I think some years are stronger than others for me. Um, I do I do try really try and check out everything that comes out on the label um, as much as I can. Um, but it seems like Profound Lore has been branching out, bringing a lot of new artists to the roster. Um, you know, anytime I get like a Bandcamp notification or something on a new release, I'm always like, who is this? I have I've never even heard of this band before. <laughs> and I'm decently plugged in. Um, but I'll always check check it out and, and and it's generally something that challenges me or it's something I straight up end up loving and even if it's I've never listened to a profound lore release where I'm like this sucks like this is just 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 why how did this get put out on label like not once has that ever happened I've been like this is not my thing but like yeah I can tell the quality is here like absolutely or at least like the the experimentation the the the, the most like negative experience i've had with profound law stuff is like well you tried something new like you really went for something <laughs> interesting it's like about as negative as it gets which i don't mind hearing those albums like i'm glad they've got a home like this that promotes really weirdo metal like and actually is you know thrusting it quite towards the mainstream of the extreme stream metal scene for sure um, I guess, you know, lastly, unless unless anything else you want to bring up about the label, you know, what do you think might be the like the legacy of Profound Lore? I mean, what, what mark do you think the label has? Do you think that the label has already made a mark on like heavy music or the way other labels are run? So I think I think the thing with Profound Lore for me is the thing I was sort of saying earlier. I think the thing they're going to be remembered for in a big way, assuming they don't have some sort of huge movement coming up, is being the kind of the bad the, the the place pushing those bands that were like taking black metal to strange places and bringing about that like 2010 like revival of black metal into being something really interesting but um but yet still accessible like that's that's some of the stuff i think will really have the kind of legacy like um and yeah i think they're just going to be well known for being a major part in that kind of movement yeah, that, that that much is undeniable for sure. I think of other maybe similar kind of labels. You know, I think the Flenser, Gilead Media, and Twenty Bucks Spin. Like, you know, I I th- I think Profound Lore might uh, predate those labels just by just by a little bit. But I, I I and I know that a lot of artists have kind of floated between you know all of all of those labels. There's a little bit of a a, a shared you know, sort of a group of very <laughs> talented people who put out projects like on, on all of those labels or, or some of them. So I do like to look at Profound Lore and kind of like that type of ecosystem where there's really similar labels that are, um, you know, probably one kind of one man or or one woman like um, shows, you know, in terms of like who's running the label, super DIY and stuff like that. So I love that kind of all four of those labels in particular and look, I'm only I'm only considering like North American labels right now, and of a particular kind of slice of extreme metal too. There's so many, there's so many s- much smaller labels out there that have been like killing it like this whole time too. I don't I don't want to overlook anyone, but I think that those those four labels in particular, if I kind of put them in a pool together, there's just they. If you took all of the the uh, composition of like all of the releases, like that is telling you so much about 
extreme and independent like metal in from the years like 2006 to like up until this day you know yeah yeah that's a really good grouping of just there's a there's a kind of sound to that group or like very loosely i yeah i I can see that see the connection there in a big way and as you say that that kind of trading of bands between those like a lot of the gilead media in particular i mean if you're a band with like a demo out like you would be so stoked to get on any one of those labels because you know it's going to open it's going to open up your music to people who are going there's a good chance that you know a lot of people are going to latch on to like whatever you're doing like some portion of it so i've i've always thought like if i was in a band that's i would i would want my stuff to get picked up by like one of those labels like absolutely and a lot of bands i i found end up leaving profound lore for for bigger labels too like this is this has happened to um I think Paul Bearer, this has happened to Full of Hell, has, went to Relapse. Um, Lingua Ignota went to Sergeant House. Uh, Yob went to Relapse, too. So, it, I, you know, it's a, maybe a little bit of an incubator, too. Maybe not with those, like, legacy bands. I guess the point I'm making is that if, if a band releases, um, at least even with just one release on Profound Lore, like, their profile's raised, like, right right off the bat right there. And that, and that can certainly lead to bigger opportunities after like you know a bunch of touring let's say or it can just or they can just be hat some bands are happy to just stay on profound lore and continue releasing releasing music there and you know have several albums on the label um so yeah it's it sounds like it's a good home for all levels of ambition and luck for for all bands (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) is there anything else you want to get into before we start hitting these tracks that's covered everything I, i wanted to mention all right uh yeah let's let's get into this so um Pick number one. What did what did you go with first here? Yeah, so the first one is it's somewhat left field, I'd say, from some lot of what we've been talking about. Um, this is Sub Rosa with their 2013 album "More Constant Than the Gods," and the the song I chose for that is the opener, "The Usher." So Sub Rosa are a really interesting kind of. They're one of those bands where I was like, I I really like that as a take. They're a five piece um, where the core of the the kind of riffing is this sort of very slow-paced, often extremely heavy drums, bass, and guitar. Uh, and then we get the vocals of Rebecca Vernon over the top of that, who has quite an interesting singing voice. But their, like, sort of X-factor, their weird addition is they have two additional members who add um, violin uh, over these riffs. And the reason I sort of describe it like that is the two violinists, uh, Sarah Pendleton and Kim Pack. Apparently, the way Sub Rosa record music is they write these huge, kind of sprawling sub, like sludgy doom tracks that often way past the ten minute mark. And then when the recordings kind of coming together, the two violinists come in and improvise all these interesting, often quite jarring or very, very depressing melodies over this to create this overall kind of just super bleak very very sad music uh like sub rosa the 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 song we're talking about the usher is um has just a load of great lyrical um refrains and it's this kind of this uh, love song to death um and the, the 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 sort of violin passages over this extremely heavy music add to um yeah just add to give it this incredible melancholy weight and rebecca has a very powerful clean singing voice um she she's often like almost purposely not doing the most in tune thing. It's more, it's just very interesting delivery. 
and as I say, they, these are big songs where they take a lot of space around stuff, like the opening of this song and the, the opener of the album. The first two minutes of this just very gently tapped bass, like, groove. Like, it's only a couple of notes, um, like, you know, repeating with with vocals over the top and, and occasional violins for almost two, three minutes. It's um, before suddenly the guitar kicks in and we get the sort of real heaviness that's kind of the core of Sub Rosa's sound. Um, yeah, how, how familiar are you with Sub Rosa? Pretty familiar. Um, I think that the band went on a crazy run with those, with like three really spectacular albums from 2011-2016. All on Profound Lore, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember that, you know, Sub Rosa's profile was being raised like with each, each subsequent album. Like um, there was a lot of glowing press when it came out. And I also think the band was putting out these records at a time where doom metal was overtaking a lot of other genres. There, there was uh, all, all of a sudden this this run of doom bands that was really like making a case for the genre. Paul Bearer, Yob, Windhand, uh, Boris, Thou, you know, Indian, Conan. Like some of them were bands that had been doing doom for a really long time prior to like the, the whatever wave came through. And some of them were, were newcomers. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Sub Rosa is like a, definitely like a, a doom highlight of the label, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I, I just like their kind of, they're, they're that very expansive doom where you, you know you're in for a, a real a real long sitting with an album that will have a lot of related themes. They often run the post the 70 minute mark. They are exhausting, sort of overwhelming, particularly emotionally overwhelming listens, but they, they hit very deeply, I find. Like their, their stuff is always they almost immediately on first listen will strike strike a chord and i think a lot of that is down to the combination of like that that music giving space where the lyric writing and vocal delivery has a lot of room to kind of be the focus of your attention with them which is not always the case with doom and it's, it's interesting to have something where i like one of my main takeaways from their stuff is the lyric writing more so than mm. a lot of the other aspects and i think possibly that, that sort of improvised violin replacing where you know a lot of other bands would go for say guitar solos or your kind of more cheesy keyboards really helps that it just keeps it feeling very atmospheric yeah i think i think you're 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 hitting a big part of the appeal of the band and it's like it, it does feel like that's a lot of storytelling happening within the music. And I think one of the unique things Sub Rosa brings to the table is the melding of like these incredibly heavy doom and sludge riffs and parts, which are done so well. Like they're, they're, they're great. They're simple, but great, like memorable riffs and with, with great buildup and everything. But I, I don't know for sure. Cause I haven't read up too much about like their, their influences or anything like that, but it does seem like there's some kind of like maybe folk influence kind of like, um, from the American songbook uh, and not in like a panopticon or wayfarer kind of approach where it is more of just like I love bluegrass and I'm bringing bluegrass yeah. into, into this and, and I love and I love panopticon I mean this is not this is not a slight on on, on that kind of uh, particular style of melding which is kind of like a you know they're from Utah um, you know just a lot of kind of Americana I, I hear a little bit of that but in a, in a very heavy way with this like characterized storytelling and these the harmonies especially they're very layered um, they're very weepy kind of like melancholic kind of harmonies which remind me of maybe like the kind of more uh, the sadder side more uh, desperate side of like uh, American folk music and they do use instruments like you're saying like violin even use hammered dulcimer I think on the last track on this record maybe a couple others it adds a really deep touch to the music and um, adds a lot of tension and emotion to to the music. I like I like when um, 
when they when they're using violins and they're doing this kind of like staccato kind of like picking uh, i don't know how to describe it because i don't know shit about <laughs> vi- like violin playing or something but it's very it's a very like back and forth like kind of sound and it adds just like a lot of uneasiness and tension to to the music and i i don't know if they're doing this for sure but it, it sounds like they're running those violins through some kind of effects or, or i am certain like there's a lot of effects on the violin this is actually something that's probably worth bringing up it's like you can tell the two violinists at least aren't primarily classically trained because what they mm. do is so experimental and a lot of classical violinists are very rigid in their thinking about playing and as you say they do these interesting things where you've got the the really harsh scrapes and stabs occasionally stuff where they're affected and sound almost quite guitar-like um yeah they're very very like nothing too technical with the violins but very clever and use them to hit a load of different sounds and a lot of very different um kind of feels throughout the music i think yeah, it makes the music more hypnotizing, I think, because a lot of the riffs are are while it's like doom, I, they don't they're not very like bluesy and Sabbathy to me, but they're also not like this dissonant neurosis kind of thing either. It's just it's it's really more just about atmosphere, and 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 honestly, like um, you know, the melodicism of this band is I think one of their one of their greater gifts. I mean, a lot of the choruses are some of these songs are really catchy. Um, it's a pretty. This is a very melodic band, um, and I always say that like doom bands have some of the most gifted melodic geniuses in their rank. They just like deploy it in different ways. And I'll say that like they're a super melodic, but when they want to like get when they get dark and heavy, which is kind of a constant thread throughout their music, they they do not skimp on like the <laughs> oppressive doom atmospheres. Like they take you to hell. Like it's no problem for them to do that. <laughs> they they come in hard, but it's often like a, a, as a payoff to like ten minutes of of sort of as you say going through more melodic passages and hitting certain things, and then having these sudden spikes of real heavy doom. And yeah, like their their sort of slightly out there lineup doesn't hamper them in the slightest for just getting very brutal when when it calls for it. Yeah, which initially I was thinking, you know, it does, they don't strike me as a band that, that maybe listens to extreme metal as their, as their primary influence, but I don't know, like to get that heavy, you kind of, you really got to have your ear to, to the ground there, so uh, I, I don't know if I'm right on that. So I think this band broke up, right? Yeah, so back. sadly they stopped yeah. um, not long after 2016 for the for this We Fought the Battle of Ages. Um, yeah, it was a real shame because they seem to be really on a rise, and I'm not quite sure what led to that, but yeah. Yeah, around 2017, they, they called it a day. Yeah, too bad. This I, I think this band was just kind of ascending. I saw a little bit of their set one time at, um, I think it was, it was Psycho Fest, but it was back when it was still in California. I think it's in Vegas now, right? Yeah, yeah, it's in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, and so it was a smaller thing, and it was a like, very Doom-focused festival. Back back then, it was only like a couple of days, only like you know, 500 people or something. I remember seeing a part of, part of their set, and it was... I was just like I had gone and seen some other band in place, and I wanted to catch the the what what I could of Sub Rosa. I remember immediately being like, I just wish I just went and watched Sub Rosa this whole time. <laughs> like the, the the ten or fifteen minutes I saw was like absolutely like incredible, just so entrancing, amazing. Yeah, I did. They're one I'm gutted. I never got to see live, but I, I have a feeling they've never even played the UK. Like I remember they've they've got a good set on YouTube from Hellfest. I think it might be as close as they ever got. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. Um, anything else on on uh, Subrosa? No, I'm, I'm good with that. All right, let's listen to the Usher from Subrosa.
All right, we are on to my pick. I went with Altar of Plagues. The track is called Neptune is Dead. This is from the album Mammal. Uh, this is an Irish band formed in 2006. They broke up in 2015. This is a 2011 record. This is their second full length. They they only ever had three full length albums. I would broadly categorize this as kind of like atmospheric metal with definitely like a, a fair amount of black metal influence. But it's a three piece guitar, drums, bass. Uh, Phil, were you familiar with Altar of Plagues? Yeah, so um, I was aware of these guys. Like, uh, I a friend, like, years ago when I was sort of getting into Doom gave me, like, a hard drive full of Doom stuff and Mammal was one of the albums on there. And I always, like, my initial experience with it was it was just too much. It is a, it is a <laughs> extreme album. But, like, sort of I got turned more onto them after seeing them play at Damnation Festival and it was in a very mm. hot, crowded room and I remember it it's similarly overwhelming, but that was what they were trying to do, and it, it worked. It was um, very, very intense, hard to digest music. Like this, the, the the track we're talking about is is a near twenty minute monster of very apocalyptic sounding. <laughs> I, I kind of classify them as doom. Metal Archive says post black metal. I, I get mm. a sense of sludge in there. There's almost like a there's almost like a hardcore tinge to the vocals, but then it's got mm, mm-hmm. the slowness in places, but then it's very fast and in your face and others. Like, I, they're, they're very extreme. It's, it's all I can really say to describe that that kind of general sound. Yeah, it's, they're hard to pin down because to me, they use the blast beats of black metal and the tremolo style picking of black metal and long drawn out hypnotic passages where they're just playing the same grouping of riffs over and over or like just a variation of a single riff for extended periods of time but the vocals don't sound black metal the tone of the guitar does not sound remotely black metal the riffs themselves don't aren't super black metal they're just played at the rhythm and kind of like pace um and kind of fury that black metal is so like it's like as if they're borrowing kind of more ri- like rhythmic aspects from from the genre but like it's it sounds co- like cold and mechanical to me and it it's a really suffocating atmosphere like i will say like it is dark like there's, there's no light <laughs> there's no light in this song definitely the song i think not really on this album until maybe the the final track there's a little bit of like a, a hopeful kind of bend to one of to the the last riff but um yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So did you, now that like, when when you first were exposed to this, it sounded like it wasn't your cup of tea or it was just like too much to wade through. Is it is it to this day? Like, is it something that you're, you've come around to or is it something that's still just a little too oppressive for you? I, I So I, I enjoy it a lot more now. I was at that age where I was still sort of adjusting to Doom and like this album is essentially like an hour of this, this energy that is so... Um, so all-consuming and all this like kind of one sound and that's the kind of the reason i put it with doom is it has that feel of like it's the same atmosphere for an entire album with very drawn out passages which i think is a thing you have to grow into like it's a it's an acquired taste and yeah on first listening i was like i'm quite enjoying this for 10 minutes and then i was like i i feel ill um this is <laughs> overwhelming now i kind of really like it for being that to some extent, I think the band had just suffered by, for, for me, sort of being aware of them by virtue of having broken up. Like, I listened to them a lot back in, like, 2018, but then because obviously they weren't playing any more music, I kind of forgot they existed in a way, which is is, is totally not 
on them. It's just I haven't heard the name mentioned as much anymore, which, considering the quality of this album, is definitely unfair. Yeah, you know that that hits pretty close to home for a lot of people. I mean, they're not they're not like a huge a huge band like in the canon or really I would say like they're a, a band that I think has a, maybe a very small following but very devoted. Like the people who love this, I think really think this stands up as some of the best some metal of the last twenty years. I mean, this album Mammal is is definitely like considered like um, you know one of the highlights in their. In their discography I mean, it's only three records and i think they're all they're all considered quality albums but it's actually the album after this teeth glory and injury that is the one i think is considered by many to be like this very forward-thinking and innovative heavy album um kind of in the modern canon um but and while i love that album mammal is the one that kind of spoke spoke to me like the most directly and i think you know that's why i featured it here i, I think it really helped turn me on to more progressive and atmospheric kind of metal stuff um, and super long song durations. I mean, this track, you know, like you said, it's 20 minutes long. Um, it doesn't really come off that way to me because I have trained myself to be okay with repetitive riffs that go on for, for just so many measures. I mean, like I also listen to a lot of ambient music and drone music too. So I think that that, that helps kind of like prepare me for that as well. But I, what I what I love about this is that it's it's really dynamic, to be honest. Like the the colors they're painting with are few and far between. It's pretty much just like a hard, harsh industrial gray bleakness. But there's a lot of dynamics just in terms of like where they take uh, the rhythms and, and and everything like that. And I, it's weird. It's not an industrial album by any means, but it just sounds like it was <laughs> made in a factory or like it just has that oppressiveness. To, it's everything's just gray with this album and like the end of uh end of modern society or something like that like a collapse of some kind yeah i don't know what it is something about this always puts in the the visual of like ruined cities in my head like i can't escape that kind of image while listening and that kind of color palette of the cover is perfect for the sound of this that like sort of drab green gray it's got that like there's something kind of suffocating and end of days about this. I think you say like something that might play into that sort of almost industrial feel is the the drums are kind of an, an abnormal take for this kind of genre of hmm. they're very modern, very clean, clear production, which means like the snare is amped to be this absolute like sledgehammer in the mix of like it's this real driving force, which often in this you would expect almost, you know, more of the wolves in the throne room where the drums are quite loose and in the background. This is, the drums are front and centre and very punishing and, and kind of perfect. Like, you know, the rhythm is is incredibly tight and, yeah, like overwhelming in that sense. I think that, that might play into that slight industrial nature. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And their third album that I that I mentioned previously is is a very, like, influenced by Godflesh and um a lot of like uh kind of like mathy like more jagged dissonant kind of metal as well it's barely any black metal or or kind of doom stuff on that whatsoever so they really ch- uh, ch- changed their sound up on that one but yeah I, I think that there's a lot of feeling in this music despite it being super cold i mean i, I certainly don't want to know what this uh this uh primary songwriter and vocalist is going through <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's, there's just no way to fake this this is like the roughest shit uh, you can imagine without getting into like a twisted like Leviathan kind of territory where it becomes very like dark, but it's also psychedelic and alien. <laughs> yeah. and I don't, I just don't get that from this. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Wolves in the Throne Room because I've seen, I've seen the two bands compared, and I'm trying to figure out where that comes from. And I think, 
um, or even if that's a fair comparison. I think an album like Mammal and and Wolves and Throne Rooms Two Hunters are like almost like distant cousins or something because they both they both kind of like hone in on having these really long passages of like blasting, like hypnotic guitars, sticking to t- a certain tempo for a really long time, like a blast beat, and then like after six seven minutes, like taking you know taking their foot off the blast and bringing it into something to kind of really like move you into this new you know, these very dramatic kind of shifts, but like they have to hypnotize you first in order to like get you like locked in. And I, I like that quality in, in, in black metal a lot. It's, I think that's like one of the most intoxicating kind of like uh, qualities, especially in a live setting. And, and I don't know, it's, I don't know if, I don't think this is like black metal about like chaos or savagery or anything. It's very minimal and it's very wallowing and like these like very depressive, introspective feelings. Um, so this is definitely some like sad boy metal shit. I feel kind of bad because the first two tracks were, were hitting the audience <laughs> with are like, you didn't, you didn't choose the most miserable Subrosa song. So yeah, you know, that's, 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 that's good. But like I chose, I chose uh, some incredibly miserable shit to, to lay out here. So <laughs> um, you know, just putting that warning out there. This is not the totality of profound lore, as, as you can imagine. Uh, maybe we're just like priming the pump or something here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got some more cheerful stuff coming, but yeah, we have gone for two very miserable songs. Particularly, yeah, this one, as you say. Like, I, I hope the uh, the the singer is all right because, my God, <laughs> this is a bleak world he's created. <laughs> Well, I just glanced at your your next pick, um, and uh, yeah, the, unfortunately, the misery train is going to go on for one more ride. Um, anything else on Alter of Plagues? No, that's all on this one. Okay, um, so let's listen to a, a snippet, just a piece, we're not going to get too heavy-handed here, of the track uh, Neptune is Dead from Alter of Plagues.
Okay, so the, the next one we're covering, another one of my picks, uh, this is Evoken with, I believe, their fifth album, Atramores, and the song we've gone for is the opener to the album, the the uh, titled also Atramores. So, as we mentioned earlier, Evoken, one of the few kind of um, kind of legacy acts on, on Profound Lore, and certainly one I can see why that this was like an exciting get for them. Um, this is somewhat, I may, maybe a comeback for them. So I first became aware of them with their kind of legendary Antithesis of Light album. But Atramors is a bit later on, like, um, and after probably largely agreed, like a slight misstep album of theirs. Not even, it's not even terrible. It's just Antithesis of Light is this legendary staple in Funeral Doom. And it, it was very hard to follow up. And I think what's, what made me love Atramors so much is it is genuinely a brilliant follow-up to that, if not topping the original. So, in terms of like the Funeral Doom kind of canon, like these guys have been going since 1992, which um, puts them in a, in a category with bands like Ferragothan and Skepticism. Like they have been around since the genre started. And personally, I think Evoken are a band who have just got better and better with each subsequent release, much like say the British act uh, esoteric where they just seem to have refined their sound and found more ways of um, just making it like that kind of bleak and dark and very sad music. Um, Evoken more so than most in the genre are exactly what I think Funeral Doom is. I don't think they, they, they break from the core kind of tenets of that, that genre in, in any real way. This song exhibits a lot of like interesting stuff of like it has a very slow intro, which is just sort of very heavy um chords with a lot of space um between them, intense, low, rumbling, like growls, vocals, very, very kind of sparse, um like kind of grim depressing keyboards over it and the kind of the evoken staple and i don't know if they're the band that event invented this but they're they're sort of the one i i couple it with is having riffs where you get like a chugging heavy guitar and then the second guitar will be playing these really heavily kind of reverbed single notes that are often like kind of completely clean but long and echoing um and yeah that's that's kind of like the core of their sort of slower parts the thing I like about Evoken, though, for a Funeral Doom band is they do regularly throw in these sections of songs which are just, like, two minutes where they've just dumped a death metal song in the middle of their music, where they, they'll they speed <laughs> up, the drums will suddenly get really kind of intense and interesting, and they'll briefly become, like, this fast-paced thing and then go back to the atmospheric. Um, yeah, what's your experience with, with Evoken? I honestly don't... I don't go back with Evoken much at all. I'm pretty sure Atramors was my first diving into one of their albums despite knowing uh that they're this legendary band that i I was surprised that they've been around this long i mean i i figured they've been around since maybe the early 2000s but they go they go way back um and i think at the time you know like funeral doom was not not really on my radar that's probably just in the last several years that i've really kind of locked in with a lot of that stuff and and, and, you know sometimes it's by virtue of this new funeral doom that's coming out and i end up skipping out on the classics you know i think the the one funeral doom band that i have always listened to and always appreciated is uh disembowelment and well actually you know i don't even know that they're a straight up funeral doom band i mean i think they're more in the death doom camp but like what you said about having a chugging riff and then having clean 
guitar is kind of played over it in in that kind of like weird rhythmic like shifty kind of thing that's definitely like that's certainly something that disembowelment uh did a lot of yeah possibly they're the ones to go back to with that actually that's a good point perhaps they're they're innovators there i don't know i know that they were they're around in the 90s which is the same about the same time you know maybe early 90s mid 90s that's definitely the same time as evoking i was gonna ask um i had this question on my mind like you, you probably know better than me this funeral would you say funeral doom by its kind of definition has to include some death metal like elements i think i think the idea with funeral doom and i, I I'm, there may be purists will debate me on this i think funeral doom is essentially taking death doom and slowing it down and making it more long form it is it is almost like a subgenre of death doom like it's a, yeah. it describes a particular yeah it needs i I think I it wasn't until I heard Ahab that I even realized you were like allowed to put clean vocals in Funeral Doom. I thought I thought it was a strictly growls only genre, and then that band sort of with their second album, they were the first one that I clocked actually singing at all in it and and actually stepping away somewhat from the the death metal in places. But yeah, the stuff like uh, Esoteric and Evoken and yeah, like. Maybe their mournful skips, congregation, mournful congregation, yeah, as well. Like another another good one. All have that like very strong death metal influence in there. They can speed things up, but they got to be slow, like the vast majority of the time. And that's that. That seems to be the rule. I like I like your um. If you have to kind of slot it on a on a tree, like it being a kind of a subgenre of death doom, because yeah, I think you're right. Death doom can can take all kinds of shapes and forms, but the death metal's really got to be like. Uh, you know 50 50 percent or so right in order in order to call it that so i'm very glad you picked this because this was also on my short list of uh, profound lore albums i was considering it was very hard for me actually not to pick this but um i think this release was a big deal in profound lore's history like i said i think i mentioned this earlier i think i remember the label head chris being sued just so like honored to be putting this out which means this is a guy who's probably just been a huge fan of Ewoken for so long. And if, if you've been a fan of them for that long or as long as you have, Phil, it's probably a, it's ingrained in you that this band is just, just criminally like overlooked in the broader kind of metal context. Although, you know, we can all understand that this is this is a sound that is only for is only for a few of us. <laughs> yeah, I think I've always accepted with like getting into Funeral Doom is like this is niche music. Like not everyone can hang with stuff that gets this slow. What I will say that Evoke and Have over a lot of those bands, let's say Skepticism and Mournful Congregation, are slow the whole time. Those guys, they'll have moments where there's like a lot of double kicks and stuff, but Evoken, they change up the pace a lot more than other bands in the genre. More rapidly, they will they will turn sound very quickly in a song where something will go from being very open and atmospheric and then suddenly you've got a, a grinding, heavy, fast riff and then back to slow and I think that's what really hooked me with them early on is like I could digest like their you know these 60 minute long albums of a very bleak overwhelming atmosphere because there was so many changes of pace so many little things to latch onto and this album's great for it they throw in loads of weird elements later on with like little bits of like spoken word sections cellos there's even a solo on this album which um i think is the first time that like, the band had done something like that in there they, they normally le- use a lead guitar for these very subtle very yeah sparse melodies right it's not like mournful congregation where you're getting six minute <laughs> glorious slow moving solos I'm definitely with you. This is definitely in the lineage of uh, the Peaceville 3 and not like something like a bolt thrower, but like they can kind of get to, they can kick it up in, in terms of death metal. Like there, there are some 
there's some double bass on this thing too like it's it's not completely removed the other thing i think that's different about about evoking and let me know what you think besides the fact that the the band regularly wears do-rags when they play live on <laughs> <Yes>. stage, <laughs> which i which i love that's the that's the new jersey in them i think <laughs> just makes them look it, like if you were to just judge them when they come out especially because they're a little older they look like they're like an old heart like tough guy hardcore band from like the 80s or something oh, from the east coast like yeah they, that's how they present totally I can, I can totally say that. yeah i was amazed like it had been years of listening to them until I saw a picture, and I was like, that was not what I was expecting in the slightest. <laughs> Have you seen them play live? No, I've never seen them play live. I, I don't know if they come to the UK very often. I don't know that I don't know that they tour or play shows all that often, but um, they're, it's a, they're supposed to be like a, just a phenomenal, like super powerful, like neurosis level kind of like act, you know, in terms of like, you know, where, where a band is just takes the attention of every single person in the audience, like that kind oh, of thing. Wow. <laughs> um, the, the, the other thing, um, it, let me know what you think about this. I, I hear a lot of goth kind of vibes in their music too, do you? Yeah, I think it, it's that combination, those those echoing guitars, those um, very sparse, like almost like um, choral sort of keyboard sounds, that kind of thing. Yeah, it does hint to a little bit of a, a sort of goth influence. Um, it's subtle, but yeah, I can totally see that. It's not goth as in terms of like '80s, like post-punk or or anything like that necessarily. It's kind of in the way that like you know, Tom, I think Tom G. Warrior of Celtic Frost is into like goth. You know what I mean? Or like puts that kind of like interpersonal like darkness into the music. And I know that Celtic Frost is like a a huge band for Evoke, and I've I've read a couple interviews, and they're just like, yeah, Tom Tom G. Warrior, just like all the way, <laughs> like in everything, a little bit of like typo negative kind of stuff too, which is interesting because I've never been able to get into any of their stuff, but any band that I hear like talking about how typo is a huge influence for them, I always end up liking for some weird reason. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. Um, I like in this track, you know, about seven minutes in, there's this kind of soul piano line that that leads into this very heavy passage that's pretty melodic actually and very like it's not super dark it's pretty like uh it's a little hopeful and it's just one of those rare moments you get on like death doom and funeral doom releases where the band is kind of they're using their weight and their might to bring some like glory and some lightness like into what's otherwise just like a total misery fest i love when bands do that so much i think evoken does does this sparingly but like enough to where it's like oftentimes for me the most powerful moments on the album that so that that moment is the exact reason i chose this song is that that stop that brief bit of melodic piano into the melodic section is one of their great like shows how well this band can execute a transition and change in speed and as you say like real change in emotional tone for a moment that yeah it's, it's an incredible moment yeah, I pretty much know exactly what to clip there. <laughs> I think another band that does this really well that I think I know you're a big fan of too, the Ruins of Beverast, right? They they also I think uh, I don't know if they're taking from the from an Evoken playbook or what, but again, it's this kind of like grand goth kind of like you know don't be afraid to put a piano like some piano swells into the riff like that kind of thing that gives it this sort of like glorious majestic kind of vibe um i love it yeah there's some real atmospherics going on something i want to mention about this because i, I think it, it, it's like something that hooked me in immediately is I, I think the album cover is absolutely amazing it's it's a really odd choice but it's this sort of like swampy kind of field photo with these these strange shambling figures disappearing away from from the camera and i just i've always found it an incredibly striking image 
Yeah, it's it's really creepy. Do you know anything about? I have, I have no idea the history. What it what it's trying to show. I mean, the artist isn't like I was sort of looking for his stuff. This isn't like the majority of his style. I don't know whose choice this was or or what what the history to it is really. It reminds me of like a black metal album cover or something. So, what are your what are your quick thoughts on the the album Profound Lore put out after this? The, the one they put out afterwards is really interesting. It, it was a massive tonal shift for the band. It went far yeah. more melodic, um, sort of kind of leaning a bit more into that sort of goth thing you were talking about. I think they were following a good line as well because they had a really good lyrical theme for this album, which is uh, at Tremors, I think, loosely translates to Black Death. And this is all about, like, the Black Death from the point of view, as almost as told from the point of view of the plague. Really weird mm. concept for that. And whereas the, the next one was this very... Um, it was tied to the, the 100th anniversary of the First World War, and it was all about the First World War. And it was just... That was the perfect kind of marrying a theme for this kind of band's sound. And, and choosing to make that a bit more um, kind of melancholy and melodic fits so well. I, I found it had a real emotional weight. It's just not the album I'd tell people to start with with this band. I don't know that it's not not the best. It's just I think Atramores is more kind of immediately accessible, if if you know what I mean. Agreed. I'm I'm often tempted to say with any with any band with such an amazing discography as Evoke and start at the start at the beginning and get the evolution and get like the pay attention to the progression that happens. But I agree with you. I think you should start here. I think you start here and, and move, make your way back. I mean, that's what I did, and I I get a lot of satisfaction out of hearing those those earlier Evoken albums. They are so incredible, and then and then I'm always taking them within the context of the years in which they were made. And it seemed like they're a band that just put out maybe an album every five years or something or four years, like you know. The last one I certainly remember was like 2019. I think really felt like an event that coming out. I, I hadn't heard any press ahead of it, and when it dropped, I was like, oh. Oh wow! There's something. This is this is a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Anything else uh, on Evoken? No, that's 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 it for me. Let's go ahead and listen to Atramores by Evoken.
right, I went with Lingua Ignota's May Failure Be Your Noose from the album Caligula. This is a, uh, I think, currently Chicago-based artist, Lingua Ignota, but I think was on the West Coast for for some time, kind of moves around. Um, Formed in 2017, still uh, active, ongoing. This album Caligula is from 2019. This is Lingua Ignota's second album. Genre-wise, we're definitely getting away from uh, from metal here. This is, I mean, I took this off of um, Rate Your Music, neoclassical, dark wave, industrial. But this, I, I think, in talking about this and listening to this, we'll we'll find out soon. It's just it's just really difficult to categorize <laughs> Lingua Ignota's music. Was this uh, an artist you you're aware of? Is this someone you're 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 a big fan of? So Lingua Ignota is someone I, I think I would describe as I appreciate it at a distance. Like I, when this album came out, I, I I got into it and I did enjoy it. But her work, because of the subject matter, because of the delivery, is not something I can listen to regularly. Like I I respect the hell out of what she does, and I would genuinely say I, I really like her. I don't listen to it regularly though. I must say, um, yeah. How about yourself? I, I love it. I mean, Lingua Ignota is uh, one of my favorite artists. Last you know probably 10 years but i i can't listen to this regularly she's an artist that i just i have to listen to their records like a few times a year i just something comes over me and i just have an inkling to listen to it and maybe it's like an emotional response to something else because i know i'm in for like uh, quite a lot of feelings and and being being made uncomfortable and kind of (laughs) you know there's a vulnerability that comes in listening to somebody who is putting it all out there for you in a, what I would think is maybe a very direct way compared to a lot of other ex- extreme metal, um, especially if you just listen to a lot of extreme metal, it's, you know, at some point it's just, what are they angry <laughs> about or what are they miserable about or like, what, you know, I, I can't really tell unless I, I dive deeper. This is much more direct, a line of communication. So, so a little, you know, a little background on Lingua Ignota um, is uh, Lingua Ignota is the musical vessel of Kristen Hader. This is the follow up to our album, All Bitches Die. That's the album that I came in on and was re-released by Profound Lore uh, at, at some point, but I, I don't even remember where. I actually think I probably learned about the song from The Needle Drop, Anthony Fantano's channel, most likely. And and, and it was kind of an underground hit of sorts, um, but her profile really got raised with, with this album, uh, Caligula. Like you're saying, that that was kind of your, your yeah, entry point so, in, where just a lot of people hyping it up to you. Yeah, it was something that was like, I think when it dropped, it was almost inescapable it was something that the sort of everyone was like you well you've got to hear this this is a this is a new thing dealing with an important subject in a very dramatic way and i, I feel it was saying like just everyone was checking out even if maybe this well it was we'll probably get to this style isn't necessarily a, a categorizable thing but you know people were coming from many different genres and spheres of often like less heavy music to to give this a try because of its um upfront content yeah and i think that you get the idea of what's going on even if you haven't done a lot of the a lot of homework or contextual research about about what is happening on this album and and the previous one as well and and even even the her most recent album from last year but a caligula compared to the previous the previous album it's definitely a much more expansive work that's really building on the sounds of her debut and i think her debut is a little has a little a little bit of like a binary experience and and this is not a this is not a point of, of criticism but it does kind of really alternate between like harsh industrial noise and and her brutal screaming like tortured screaming and, and then this like really gorgeous operatic kind of balladry um and i think that this album caligula like um 
really finds a lot of like uh, sinew and connective connective tissue between between those two points in in, in a way that tells a story and in and is really like a narrative. Um, maybe even like a play with a, like a whole cast of characters. Even she's classically trained, has this uh, just insane range uh, vocally. But beyond the technicality of her abilities, um, she has this just this other like aspect to I think which is something that you is really really rare and it's this it's this ability to inject so much drama and emotional inflection into her voice which results in moments that are like like you're saying like harrowing or delicate or rageful or sorrowful I mean this is like let it all out approach that's incredibly vulnerable it's not cloaked underneath anything and I think that is the thing that makes you like love this and like just it rise to the top of like the music that you appreciate or tap out immediately or or be in some kind of like a, a middle category where you're like i love this i appreciate it when i'm listening to it it's very rare that i want to listen to it though you know yeah it, it just like she has a way as you say of interacting that kind of drama and making it feel so real and uh, her voice is so good though it is that thing where i I've heard this album plenty of times. I struggle to tell you what happens musically on it. I can tell you what her voice does on <laughs> songs, but like I'm never really the music is just like a, a kind of um, a vehicle for the the brilliant stuff she does with her voice throughout this. There is some of the most blood curdling shrieks you'll ever hear in places, and then yeah, these moments as you say of just absolute beauty as well. Yeah, and and Kristen I think has been pretty forthright about you know different like traumatic experiences and how they they drive at least a portion of the music that she plays so you know we don't need to get into that if you're if you're wanting to dig deeper there there's there's plenty of interviews and, and she actually there's um she did a whole sort of paper on it you can you can access like an academic mm. paper like really going into detail of the the influence behind this so if you want to read deeply there's um there's some great stuff there. I forgot to make a note of the name of it, frustratingly. But yeah, like it's it's cool. There's a lot of material around this, so you can you can dig deeper into it if you're you're up for some uh, challenging reading. Yeah, and her body of work, you know, is not singularly focused on on this particular trauma. There's there's themes of uh, patriarchy, faith, Catholicism in particular, a lot of biblical image, imagery and storytelling in, in there as well. So this isn't just sort of like a thematic project uh, built on that. Although I think in in her early days, it, it because there was only one release and that what really was the the focus. Like I, I can understand that you know that it, it seemed that way. I, I'll say that um, I'm not sure, Phil, if you've listened to Lingua Ignota's uh, release from last year, Sinner Get Ready. No, I, I never got to it in the end. It was one of those that, like, you know, when something just drops and you, you sort of go, oh, I've got to get to that and just missed it. Like, yeah, how is it? Phenomenal. I, I think it, it's her most focused and kind of breakthrough work. Um, it's largely ditched a lot of the heavy distortion and industrial noise parts. It's It's really stripped out. Um, that that big like low end bass kind of like that you hear that you know it reminds me of, like the body mm. you know like what they do what they do with low end and bass like that and noise um, and on and they're uh, actually the body and lingua Note are you know, you know toured tons together collaborated together like seem to be very close with with one, with one another but the new album doesn't doesn't really have much of that it does have screaming although it's fewer and far between it's more like utilizing folk instrumentation like acoustic instruments in very creepy ways yeah. um so again i think you know the things that that might make someone kind of be very intentional about when they put this on still are the case with this new album but is is just less 
less harrowing from like a sonic perspective if that makes sense yeah because this song like the like the one you picked has that amazing moment where it's, it's quite um it's sort of kind of melodic and clean at the start and then there's that sudden spike of harsh noise which is really overwhelming and almost like on first listen you go like is it meant to do that like it's so <laughs> such a jarring extreme experience yeah, you can be listening to a Lingua Gnota track and it's, it's you know, very operatic and angelic and, you know, gorgeous. And then, yeah, you're going to be plunged into some depth of hell, like, like very soon after. And that, that's why I picked this track, because I want to show um, um, both of those things. It's, it's not, that's not necessarily the formula. It doesn't happen on every track or anything like that. I, you know, it, I was trying to think of like influence, sound and influence here. And I think, you know, classical music shows up largely like in the piano, I would say. Um, I know that there is a big opera influence in terms of like the grandeur and like stylings and singing. And uh, Lingua Gnota is, um, is trained, uh, I think, in, in operatically. There's a lot of early choral and medieval kind of music that seems to be a touch point to hear. And then there's also like this artist was definitely coming out of like a DIY kind of like noise and experimental scene too. So I think, you know, like I said before, she's collaborated with The Body, with Full of Hell, uh, bands like that. And she stated in interviews that she's uh, influenced by like extreme vocals and that crosses, obviously crosses over into metal. I think she's mentioned like Attila from Mayhem and Sun as a big influence, uh, Diamanda Gallas uh, as a big influence too. But ultimately this is like, it's very difficult to pin this down genre wise um you know I, I would say that there is so much like disparate musical influence in this that when you combine that with an artist who has something to say and such a unique talent in expressing it you're dealing with something that's like fully singular and it's kind of bad to start comparing it to something else because Kristen just has like everything like so many special things going on about about her in terms of like the thematic concepts the execution the ability to like perform and be so dramatic in the performance that's just a, a really rare quality to like have all those things yeah i I've, I've, so I've never seen her live but i've seen a fair few videos and her her sort of ability to a, control a crowd often performing with, with with like weird kind of props and stuff like um like strange stuff that so, you know, swings around but she will just be in the middle of the crowd for the entire gig and it's this really intense experience but she's such a powerful performer you get really get this impression like no one is ever messing up that by getting in the way because you would just like anyone in her mm. aura will feel like they'll be destroyed if they, they, they like they get too <laughs> close to this the, yeah this this impossible performer and i think that's that's a big part of where like the noise stuff comes in she does strike me as one of those noise acts that sees like a, the stage performance as being a huge part of the sound yeah, yeah, you're right about that. I saw, I did see her live, and the sense that I got, and I was like right up front too, is that she is just does wander through the crowd, and it doesn't feel like you're in a dangerous situation where you're going to get like nailed or hit, or like that. The point is to like create this this environment where anything can happen, but more so, you feel like it feels like the whole crowd is invisible, and you're watching somebody who's really like going through something yeah <laughs> and you're and you're and we're all invisible and uh she's just you know like you know trudging throughout the crowd like just doing doing this you know, would be doing this regardless of whether we're there or not watching or not so that's what it felt like to me yeah i want to talk just a tiny bit about the in context of the record label i think i think Lingonota has has to have raised the profile of profound lauren vice versa um probably introducing her to more of a metal crowd 
than she previously was uh just presuming of course i also think it's somewhat common for people who are into like profound lore style experimental you know black death doom metal to be into like adjacently really heavy stuff that's not metal at all like swans or jarbo or coil um stuff like that so i think you know signing lingagnota putting out um this album and reissuing the first one it doesn't strike me as like a massively risky move for profound lore um and and i do think the profile was raised with the with the release of caligula and then the the release of her her next album sinner get ready which didn't come out on profound lore i think it came out on sergeant house uh, which is an interesting label that kind of snags up snags up like heavier groups that kind of really transcend that can cross over like well beyond the heavy metal like avant-garde kind of territory so yeah i don't know i don't know if you have any thoughts about like just where lingua ignota fits on the profound lore label i'm glad i'm glad this got put on a profound lore because um in some sense it is it is like a dude heavy metal label and i there's definitely been releases by artists on profound lore where some people in the band are spouting off some stupid terrible shit yeah <laughs> and i that's hard to control when you have a roster that huge and stuff like that. i mean the guy you know the guy from think of the phil from cobalt i think yeah he, he, he had a bit of a um uh, <laughs> i can't quite remember the details but <laughs> Yeah, and Lord Mantis, there was some stuff. There was some stuff around around that Ben Leviathan too. Mm. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know that this matters. What I'm, ta- what I'm saying right now in terms of a statement, and I don't think that Lingua Ignota like places cover or shade for any of this. But and I don't think it was an intentional, obviously, like PR kind of public image mood or anything. Like I'm just glad that this can make its way onto the label. You know, kind of expound upon like <laughs> <laughs> just just the diversity of artists and ideologies you know? yeah yeah and it, it, it's it was definitely like it fits well with some of the other stuff like um almost thematically i think something like sub rosa does have common themes in yeah. certain particularly in certain songs um lingua knows you're obviously pushing it to a kind of far more intense emotional place i think it's interesting as what you say like this building the profile of profound law this album from uh, my limited like understanding of it seemed to absolutely blow up like completely was everywhere for a point which i think is beyond the reach of profound laws kind of marketing i think this just tapped into something at that point in time where people on mass got very excited about it much like say that that job clearing a path to ascend album where that was just the flavor of the moment for like a month like everyone had to check it out and um and this is awesome I'm, i'm really glad like an album that like this could be that center of attention someone doing something so avant-garde weird and intense could like have this huge focus where now if you listen to metal you know her name and uh, as you point out it's it's not even a metal album it's it and it, it it's one of those things that like it gives a nice legitimacy to say a lot of these bands we're talking about being interesting and weird on profound lore sort of going like oh yeah well we've also got lingua ignota so Maybe if you're not checked out metal that much, start here with some of this stuff that is is a bit more highbrow for for the genre as a whole. Like, and might be something people slightly outside the metal scene wouldn't be familiar that we we've grown to this place as a genre. And you know, those people who wrote it off at Metallica and Slayer twenty years ago might suddenly come across an album like Cobalt's Gin through this connection and realize there's a lot of changes happened in that time. Yeah, no, I, I I feel you for sure on all those points. I think this has to be one of Profound Lore's probably best-selling albums, if I I would imagine. The other thing I think may probably helped raise the stature. I remember uh, the Needle Drop 
had a really glowing review of this album and this this became a very uh uh well positioned album on like rateyourmusic.com so like the very online music nerd community really took this in and i think that hasn't happened to a lot of profound lore albums really all that much i mean sure there's been there's been you know coverage by rolling stone and and pitchfork and and whatnot you know in terms of profound lore releases and giving them glowing reviews but yeah yeah there was something special about this one for sure this was this was lingering Nota's breakout album and i was really intentional on my four picks like i've got to pick something that's not metal just to just to show that side of it that's kind of a rule i made for myself so yeah yeah that, that was really nice to get that to sort of show the diversity Okay, yeah, so the, the next um, the next album we're covering is Vol's second album, Deeper Than the Sky. So the, the track we're playing from it is Desolate Damned, the opener. You may have noticed I've gone for openers of every single one. Um, that must mean I'm a poser <laughs> of some kind. Um, Vol are an interesting one. If you've never heard them before, it's spelled V-H-O-L, and it's just a made-up word. Um, they formed in 2012 and are very much a super group. Um, Featuring vocalist uh, Mike Scheidt of Yob's fame, 
Aesop Decker of Agalock and many other we we mentioned uh, Ludacris earlier, like multiple multiple bands, uh, drummer John Cobber of Hammers of Misfortune and Ludacris on guitars, and I think he's the main songwriter, and Sigrid uh, Shea on bass, who um, is been a lot of stuff over the years, but primarily known as the keyboard player for um, for Hammers of Misfortune. And what I really like about this band is they're doing something that feels like a little bit of all of that. We have like Mike bringing his kind of epic, um, like heavy, clean voice to this project, but using it in a far more kind of intense, rocking way. We get some of John Cobbett's like real heavy metal, like really like seventies and eighties heavy metal inspired guitaring. He's he's an incredible guitarist. But then Aesop Decker is bringing his like incredibly fast um like black metal drumming and then the, like this huge bass guitar sound and occasional sort of keyboards to make something that's essentially this album probably more so than their their debut is just like a really rocking kind of heavy metal meets doom meets a bit of everything album um like starting like this this song you, you know like starts the album with like a shredding guitar solo fading in <laughs> then going into this really cool kind of almost like thrashy riff and then mike just really going for it at pace with his vocals which is something we don't hear so often from him but his voice almost transcends into this like almost like led zeppelin-esque like wail <laughs> over this music it, but then occasionally dropping a bit gravelly and getting a bit growly when 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 things go heavier i don't know it's like do you have any familiarity with all yep i loved the the first full album that came out on profound lore because it's like you, I was a fan of Hammers and Ludacra and Yob. So when I heard, you know, it became through the press or whatever, like the album announcement known that this was like a super group, like that was truly a super group. I, I feel comfortable saying that. Oh, yeah, yeah. When th when this was happening and that it was kind of like going to be fast. All I knew, I think all I knew about is it's going to be fast. I was like, oh, nice. They're all <laughs> they're all like getting kind of back to their roots in a way kind of thing. So I was I was really excited. And um, I actually saw, I saw them play, I think, one of the only shows they've ever played oh, at wow. Migration Fest in Olympia, Washington um, a few years back. And they ripped. I mean, I don't. They're, they're not a band that tours a whole lot because they're all involved in other things. They're all kind of like, I don't want to say like, I was going to say elders of the scene. They're veterans of the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you're a fan of like, you could just be a fan of one of their one of their bands and you're probably going to check it out. But like if you're a fan of all of them, and like you're saying, it is some kind of, there's some DNA of everything in here, I think. Yeah, I certainly got there's elements of when Yob get like those more rocking moments. Like there is bits of that appear in it. The hammers kind of guitar stuff comes through, but then you get a little bit of that ludicrous kind of um the, the, the particularly in like the, the rhythm section you do have a bit of that. It, there's a bit of everything. And I love with this album how kind of varied it is. This first song feels like it's borrowing a lot from like New Wave of British heavy metal and the thrash, but then so like the the next track of the album gets really punky and like like kind of nasty mm. for a time, and then then you get really bizarre stuff like the um, the instrumental track later in the album, which I think is entirely written by Sigrid, is this like back and forth war between a like a grand piano sound and a bass guitar that's just really nasty and intense. Like there's just so many interesting shifts on this album. Yeah, it's it's it sounds like the band's having a lot of fun and doing doing whatever the fuck they want. Mm. Which is great. I, I also wonder, you know, if this is the first time Aesop and um, John have have 
jammed together since Ludacra because maybe they just kind of when you put those two together they kind of just got gonna kind of capture some of the past energy and that's why you're we're hearing some of these Ludacra style like rhythms and some of the guitar some of this like, galloping parts you know never really thought about that before I know that Cobbett is the prime I read that he's the primary songwriter for this band yeah yeah I think it is very and you can kind of hear that from this track of it being so like that massive guitar solo in the middle being such an important part of the song where he does like some really clever stuff where he has like two different styles of shredding at once that harmonize in interesting spots you're like oh this guy is a, this guy is a masterful guitarist it's the, it's the kind of uh, solo and uh, layer like layering of the solo that like makes you kind of almost laugh a little yeah, bit because yeah. it's so <laughs> it's so like over the top like Queen almost like something a power metal band oh would, completely would be down would be totally down for um, it's just not it's not something you hear but John Cobbett is that kind of guitar player too I mean he's in, in all of his stuff in Hammer's Misfortune maybe less so in Ludacra but still in some Ludacra tracks he really like. He, he gets really, really flashy, like that Brian May, like, who's, who's the guitarist from Scorpions? I forget his name. Uh, oh, God, I'm, I'm blanking it too. Uh, Michael Schenker? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, that guy, it's, it's, it's definitely like that 70s, like, uh, style with some, uh, with some, maybe some Van Halen kind of thrown into. Oh, he certainly, like, you can see, like, back when he used to be, like, more active on Twitter and that, he loves that era of music, like, really likes that old heavy metal. Also, like, a big Voivod fan and a lot of that early early weird thrash and there's there's a lot of that dna in there what i always like about john Cobb's playing though is um despite his myriad project he's a very recognizable guitarist he's one of those guys where you can hear particularly when he starts doing a lead it's like oh that's john Cobb. that is a sound that is purely him absolutely yeah me yeah me and my, my friends who love Cobbett's bands like we we say that all the time he's so he's so recognizable he does never waste a riff every riff is he just doesn't miss when it when it comes to riffs, and he's he he has like a pretty large body of work, sure. But it's over the course of I don't know, twenty at least twenty plus years, twenty five years, maybe even longer. Um, so it's just very intentional with everything he does. And what do you think about this album compared to the debut? Did you ever listen to the first? So, so I love the debut, and I I think the debut in many ways is a stronger album. It's the debut is this cool, cohesive story. It very much feels like. A bill like the 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 final track feels like this closing to the experience. The first album is far more harsh and far more apocalyptic, whereas Deeper Than the Sky is much more um, uh, like fun in in a, in a major way. Like this this sounded like the band like everyone having having fun, whereas the first one far more felt like it was kind of making some kind of political points and telling a story. It's still full of great riffs and really kind of thrashy, fun, heavy moments, but this one felt far more kind of the band just trying to make this cool, kind of angry, loud, melodic music. For sure, I think I think this album is less less nasty than the than the debut. I think it's this album. It, while it's still here, it's still in the DNA of the band. It is kind of less like '80s hardcore and, and punk rock in some ways, and there's a little more of that shredding and like thrashy and techie kind of parts that that pop up although i haven't listened to the debut in a long time so i i could be mis- no there's reading that there's nowhere near as many like sort of solos or um even like instrumental passages and then there's stuff like you get to like the final track the song set to await forever there's these long melodic very um very kind of introspective almost moments this album doesn't really have a lot of that like there's maybe some in the title track but not hugely 
Yeah, and I think you're right on with Voivod. I mean, I hear a lot of that in this band. I hear a lot of like the more creative thrash stuff, like even Corner, um, mm. and sort of speed, a lot of speed metal influences as well, um, which I know is a genre of metal that all the band members like profess to love. It's it's like a stew of like hardcore punk, like pr- kind of proggy thrash, but not too proggy. Um, mm. Some maybe black metal kind of elements there, especially in the drumming, and then straight up heavy metal and speed metal. And, and I think Mike is he's such an, a, an awesome band leader and front man um, within Yob, but who knew that he could like be this good at like fronting a fast metal band? And he has so much range vocally. He can do that like Poison Idea style, like punk growl yeah. thing, which I think is great. He's so good at it. And then he does that Getty Lee, King Diamond kind of like high thing, which I you would not think it would, would work with a band like this kind of like fast but it does like it, it really does i think most of the time when you have this kind of sound it's like that corner kind of bark or like um, just extreme kind of like vocals like death metal style vocals yeah yeah it, it, they, they, he's the amount of things he drops in this and as you say like some of those heavy passages you don't expect those cleans to kind of cut through like but they, they just fit perfectly I, I really love that delivery and i just love hearing mike in such a different setting because you know, what he does with Yob is amazing, but it, it's not like this in the slightest. Yeah, this is a super fun album, and and I'll maybe this is a critique of Profound Lore, not not a label known for its fun albums, just if you, <laughs> if you take it as a whole. This is kind of why I wanted to put this one in there, because I think it's, it's almost quite an outlier in their, their kind of thing, and I, I think in many ways it probably is on the label because of the lineup more so than the, um, <laughs> yeah, than, than necessarily the musical output, but it does. It still strikes me this would appeal to most listeners of this label, particularly people who like stuff like Slaufeg that like Comet was in in the early days of. Like, you're probably gonna dig this if you like that kind of stuff. I'd I'd recommend this also to people who are into like Vector and uh, Cryptic Shift and even Horrendous. You know. Oh like, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that crowd would love this album if they don't already. I I I get the impression Vol fly quite under the radar. I think. Um, like, Hammers are a band that, like, I think they're known in a certain part of the States, but, like, they're not really an international, like, well-known band. And and I think by that that extent, like, Vol's only known to people who have found it through, like, the connection to Yob. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, I've not met many people in the UK who have heard of them. Yeah, yeah, same here. And I, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, tended to be, like, committed band that they're going to carry on, like, for the future, or if it's just kind of, like, a group of people got together and banged out a couple a couple great albums and call it a day. I mean, this this came out in 2015. And I don't think there's. I mean, I haven't paying that much attention, but I haven't. I don't think I've heard anything really well, going on. So since. interestingly, like it just seems like uh, John and Sigrid have like kind of taken a big step back from music in the in the intervening time. Mm. So there was one more Hammers album, Dead Revolution, came out. I think like 2016 yeah. after this, and Hammers haven't done anything since and. Say so we got those couple of ludicrous gigs the other week, but that wasn't a big thing. I wonder as well. So I think a connecting event in this is while recording this, which is metal as fuck. Sigrid was really heavily pregnant. So if you look at the um, oh. the the kind of any of the photos from the studio sessions, like she's having to wear the bass really awkwardly because of like because she's just that far along in pregnancy, and you hear these bass oh, lines, you're like. How are you doing this at that stage? So I don't know whether those who have just sort of had a kid and sort of moved away from music for the time being. So fingers crossed at some time they'll find time for this project again. I 
I would love to hear more of it because I thought it was so incredibly fun. But yeah, we'll see. If not, like they've got a great body of work with these two albums. Like I do think everything they put out, I've really enjoyed. Wow, I did not know that. Well, shout out to Sigrid for <laughs> for holding it down on bass while being that pregnant. That's crazy. I can't imagine doing that song you were talking about, uh, the bass and drum song. It's called Pain. Pain, oh, yeah. Like it's the, uh, she's doing the keyboards as well. Like that's, I think it's the one song oh. someone else um, in the band wrote. Um, for the yeah, so yeah, it's her doing all the work, and it's like it is an intense track. All four of them are just so phenom- like phenomenal. Like these are just consummate pros right here just like and doing something probably that is you know their 20 your early 20s selves like first discovering like thrash and punk and 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 kind of more progressive metal and just like putting that all into a stew so it's it's so cool that they can just outdo the youngins you know, <laughs> exactly on this one. i love it um anything else uh with vol no that covers it all right let's listen to the desolate damned from vol I chose Paul Bear's Watcher in the Dark. This is from the album Foundations of Burden. This is an Arkansas band. Uh, came out 2014. It is their second full length. Um, it's produced by the legendary Billy Anderson. And I couldn't not pick this because I, I really love this band. Like, I love this band so much. <laughs> and I know that they're a big, I know that they're a big popular band, um, especially at the time that this album dropped. This is definitely a band that raised the profile of the label like no no doubt i understand why paul bearer got kind of catapulted into 
sort of a bigger level of uh, of interest and and whatnot and everything like that. But also at the same time, I'm like sometimes confounded by it too. And again, I'm not saying that they're not the hugest band here or anything like that. But I think they got to be like top three most successful popular bands on, that came off the Profound Lore label. And I think the label did it was instrumental in kind of raising the profile. But I don't know what, what's your what's your take on Paul Bear as a whole? Um, do we familiar with like their work and this album in particular? So with Paul Bear, they were one I got really into when it first came out, Sorrow and Extinction, their debut um, back in like 2012. And then totally burnt out on them by listening to that album too much. So when Foundation of the Burden came out, I enjoyed it. But I think I only spun it like two or three times. And like, I go back to it every so often. Like, I really like what they're doing. Like As you say, they, they got catapulted to real success. They rode that same wave. I think bands like Chemist were on. Of that, that kind of throwback to like older heavy metal mixed with some modern doom influence seemed to be a real... Like there was just a wave of a lot of bands doing that, and Paul Bearer, I think, were one of the more successful, and I think one of the better ones pulling it off. I, as you say, like um, a real standout thing about this is that Billy Anderson mix is is incredible. This album sound, and the debut had this too. I would say just sounds amazing. It's it's kind of timeless in a way. It's production. It sort of feels very throwback to almost seventies music in a way, but there's there's modern touches to that yeah it's a real triumph of a kind of mix master recording kind of thing yeah i'm glad you mentioned the production it's it's everything is very clear and bright but it's got enough it's recorded in a way that it has enough dust on it to where it sounds like something classic and and again like you the debut album really blew me away um i do think that foundations of burden kind of refined everything this is the album that i go back to the most i i find that the melodies are really really strong on this album um, and the band is heavier than ever. I mean, I think they're just as heavy on this album than they are on uh, Sorrow and Extinction. Although the, I think the principal difference between those two albums, or one difference anyway, is that they veered a little bit away from like the sleep electric wizard stoner influences. I don't think you can ever fully strip that out from the band. I'm not saying that. But they did bring in some more kind of progressive songwriting and more of like a kind of triumphant, fast kind of sound as well. And, and I've also started to hear, and this is definitely true of their last couple albums, but I think it started here, bringing some 90s alternative rock influences in here. I mean, I hear some Alice in Chains, like, in certain places on this album and, and, and others as well. And some of that, like, kind of tasteful, like, almost bluesy Jerry Cantrell kind of, like, soloing that happens too. But you can tell that these guys love extreme metal too they don't bring in very extreme elements but like they're also not afraid to get really heavy and pummeling as well and i i like i like any band that like is gifted melodically and interested in like progressive stuff but like there's just always no matter what they do there's always gonna be a part of them that needs to just like create a very devastatingly heavy part and and make sure that that's like part of the song (laughs) yeah (laughs) i never want that to ever fully go away it's always the worry with these kind of bands when they start doing well like they they did you're like oh no please don't soften the edges too much of each subsequent release like don't don't lose those bits because that's kind of the magic is the combination of the the heavy and light in there yeah do you think paul bear is is the most successful band on the label i mean i know we have no uh tangible verifiable proof we're not we don't have the receipts or anything like that but it just kind of seems that way. Paul Bearer, the only one on the label I can think of where if I talk to like my friends who aren't really deep into metal but like a few bands, 
they'll they'll probably own a pool bearer album i can't say that to be true for anything else on it then these are the kind of people who you know they're sort of happy with you you sort of mid-tier kind of like download festival type lineup like baroness that kind of stuff crossover stuff yeah yeah so that's that's like the kind of the places where like metallic or headline you've got the kind of like like all the new metal nonsense like there and like metalcore and like but then you'll get the 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 fringe acts that get accepted into the mainstream the opefs etc mm-hmm. i feel paul bearer on like early in the day on that festival kind of lineup like where i couldn't see anything else from Fran law sitting in that slot like maybe vol if they suddenly started touring like incessantly could do that but like um, yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, I remember Yob opened did an opening slot for Tool. Oh, that's true. But Tool is an exception because they have that. Regardless of what you think about anyone thinks about Tool, they have always brought on really challenging bands to like open, and their fan base is very often like I've heard like quite negative towards whatever <laughs> whatever is going on, including a lot of extreme metal. Like ISIS has, has opened for Tool. A lot of really really cool bands have opened has, have opened for Tool, and they're and that's because they're they're huge fans of of this particular lane of music too um i did see uh paul i've seen paul bear a few times the first time i saw them play i actually went to a profound lore showcase um in california it was put out by uh, you know that car company scion oh they yeah, have heard about this <laughs> yeah so like i don't know what happened but i don't know how this happened but in like the mid or late to like 2005 through 2010 or 11 scion just started getting really like sponsoring and affiliated with like a lot of extreme metal someone oh god i can't remember the episode someone explained the backstory to this on a heavy hole interview a while ago really? of, yeah someone inside i think effectively got given some budget i'm mangling the story now and i can't remember the interview but mm-hmm. it, it was a fascinating like oh wow they did really let you run wild there with that <laughs> Yeah, I got. I gotta go. I gotta go and listen to that because I'm very curious what the backstory is too. Because it just it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But there was a there was a Scion Fest. There were these Scion showcases, and they did a showcase just for Profound Lore. And Paul Bearer opened. I remember who else played that one. Yob played. I think Loss played as well. Nice. Um, it was a. It, it was really cool. It was not. It, it was just a, like three or four bands. Wish uh, the Atlas Moth played. I remember that they did as well. Anyway, um, it was really cool. I saw I saw them play, uh, Paul Bear play, and and they were good. And Star Extension and Extinction had just come out, but you could tell that they they weren't super well like practiced and versed as a live band, and especially like the vocals. And and I don't I mean that guy has got all, all kinds of range. He's, he's not a straightforward vocalist, um, especially in the realm of doom. But it's just so funny that like Scion had put on this metal showcase. If I'm not mistaken, it was free too. Like I don't even think they were charging at the door for anything. And it's so weird. Someone explained to me that the Scion thing was potentially because you know they're they're really boxy SUV Scions. Have you ever seen those? Yeah. They were kind of like trying to get musicians to like buy those cars because they're like oh yeah all your amps are gonna fit in it's perfect for gigging around and like hauling hauling stacks like left and right because it has so much like room like someone i remember someone explaining that to me and i'm like oh it's just still just this doesn't explain like, all the <laughs> all the media and live show investment in like metal but i don't know really weird anyway um my point with my, my whole point with the story was like 
my time seeing them live then and then seeing them much later like they have they had grown so much in terms of a live band to the point where i, I they're one of the best doom bands i've ever seen live i mean they sound perfect in, in a live setting like vocally the riffs um everything like that and i want to i wanted to kind of get your take on their approach to riffs i i they're really weird like um they're they're very like almost jagged kind of riffs in terms of like how they're played they have a, a really interesting rhythms to them that it still swings like the, in the way like a lot of like sabbath riffs kind of do but I, I don't know they just have do you, do you get the sense they just have like a an interesting sense in terms of like how the they, they really don't conform to like how the, the traditional sabbathy kind of like rhythm to riffs but it's still somewhat like derived from that world as well. I'm not doing a bad job explaining it. No, no, no it's it's a difficult concept to kind of put into words. Like there, there is something weird about their writing. It's not that sort of immediate like thing you get with Sabbath. You hear it once, you totally understand it. They they are um, yeah they have their own way of writing. It's it's very yeah I can't quite put it into words. They, they have a very interesting thing as well. I always find the way they sort of intermingle the vocal melodies with the lead guitar melodies always sits quite interestingly as well like the way they the two of them sort of fight for space in the songs i yeah they they, they have an interesting it means like i found that this stuff it always takes a couple of listens to sort of sink in like a hundred percent yeah I, I don't i don't know that this just is gonna wow you upon first listen and and I think you know timing was was really good for them too. Sorrow Extinction does have a lot of the same appeal that like a, a you know sleeps uh, classic records or Electric Wizards classic records do. I think Yob early Yob stuff is the same way, but both bands absolutely like tra- transcended it. Um, I also think they bring some things to like kind of Doom that are a little atypical, especially in the vocal department. And and what I love about this track in particular is like the second half of the track just kind of goes into like this instrumental jam where. It, it just goes on for like four or five minutes, I think. Really long soloing. It's very epic. It's very powerful. And this part of the song kind of made me realize that I think Paul Bear has a lot of kinship with like really epic kind of like Doom stuff too, like Candlemas and uh, While Heaven Wept and Solitude Eternus and stuff like that. But they're just, they don't go all the way with that. You know, they go like halfway because I think that stuff is largely relegated to a very specific niche of like <laughs> metal fans and it can get into very like often it's it's very like I don't know I think like European and like very medieval and kind of like fantastical in a lot of ways and and while Paul Bear definitely is like I think big fans like prog rock it's not necessarily like it's not it's not the same appeal that like the epic doom stuff has I don't know yeah it doesn't it doesn't quite have that but you can see them drawing from that influenceable like it's very different listen to say something like eternal champion from the other year which which is far more obviously aping that i think some of that's the singer's voice as well where he is very dramatic but he's not he's not as sort of bombastic he's somewhat more reserved as a singer incredible melodies but they're not i don't know they they don't have the the in-your-face punch of someone like messiah like and he's kind of in the middle of the mix he's not way out in front like you would expect for this very melodic clean vocal doom which i think is an interesting choice that really really kind of stood out to me about the band if like they they let every instrument has like almost an equal part in it yeah for sure vocally i i hear ozzy in his voice it's i think that's like hard not that's really hard not to hear 
but but certainly doing something a little different and i think it's maybe that it's that lane staley alice in chains kind of like thing coming in as well um i also remember uh, this memory just came to me when when profound lore was like uh promoting this record at one point i think the on their like twitter or facebook or something they talked about how they're excited to put out an album this was sorrow extinction that had uh, like a like yacht rock melodies like on the on on like the first doom band to ever have like yacht rock melodies and i was like yeah it's that i know exactly what you're talking about it's the first track the foreigner on or sorrow and extinction like later into the song there's just like this it's something you'd hear on like like am like american radio like the doobie brothers or something like that like put to a doom song you're quite right <laughs> i love that this band can do that but yeah, um, this was this was something I just I, I had to throw on there because I'm, I'm too much of a fanboy. Oh yeah, and I, I think as well, like in the discussion of profound law, Paul Bearer are such an important part. They they were one of their real breakout bands very early on. Like I I remember that even the first album did very well, but when it got to Foundation of Burden, like it it was an incredibly big album uh, at the time of release. And honestly, they, that band's just gone to from strength to strength from there. Really, like they're all their releases seem to be very well loved. Yeah, they they put out their third album, Heartless, on Profound Lore as well. I really, really love that record uh, too. Then they signed to a, a larger label. I don't remember who though. Yeah, um, I have no idea. Album. I think last year, the year before, the first time I that album that that's the first Paul Barrow I listened to. Where I was just not in love. I don't know why. Oh, it's um, it's Nuclear Blast. Is it? Yeah, Nuclear Blast, Nuclear Blast have a bit of a reputation for getting promising bands and just being the label that the crap album comes out on. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't even necessarily. I don't think it's a bad, al- a bad album in per, per se, but it just, it just doesn't expand on anything that they do. And and I think they're just a band that I've just come to expect like expand on a, on a previous sound and stuff like that. But you know, whatever we can't we. That's that's part of part of the uh, the the struggle <laughs> and the wars we wage in this world. I think as well, like even with a band like this, like they have one album where I'm not so deeply into. I'm like, yeah, but I'll come back for the next one. This this could easily be a slight misstep in trying to work out a new direction or whatever. Yeah, Paul Barrett, you know, break that contract, take that nuclear blast money, go back to Profound Lore. Um, you know, for album number five, I, I support you fully in, in that venture. That's not legal legal advice, by the way. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, let's uh, listen to a snippet of Watcher in the Dark from Paul Bear.
glad I don't have to pronounce this one. <laughs> oh god, yeah, these bloody song titles. Uh, yeah, so my, my last pick for this is a, a bit of an interesting one, and I think maybe the earliest um, album we've we've included. This is one of their like 2010 catalogue. This is the Australian band Stargazer with their second album, A Great Work of Ages, and the song I've gone for is uh, Pipes of the Psychocosmatis. Um, these guys, I, I would loosely categorise them as black metal, but they have a very interesting approach to it. Um, what I really like about it is um, Damon, the bass player who goes by the Great Righteous Destroyer, almost plays lead bass in this. There's they're free like a power trio, um, both guitarists and bass player do vocals. And the bass does the more complex, interesting stuff, whereas the the guitar is more just just doing more simplistic riffing. And actually the bass is very front and centre and heavy in the mix over this very progressive but not particularly um overly long black metal it's kind of rapidly changing not a lot of sticking on one kind of riff for a long time and the other sort of big step away from black metal is the the style of the vocals there's a lot of very low gutturals uh damon the um is also vocalist for mournful congregation who we mentioned earlier who are funeral doom so he he produces these great um lower vocals whereas the guitarist the serpent inquisitor goes for the more higher sort of traditional black metal sound and we just get some very interesting stuff in this like this song in particular has an amazing moment where all the guitars drop out and we get this this beautiful passage of like this like almost bass solo in the midst of it but it's just very melodic and interesting and just very alien for the genre i always remember like like i got this at the time it came out and I really felt I hadn't heard something quite like this. It's a very strange album. Are you familiar at all with Stargazer then? I was familiar with the name. I don't think... I, I'm sure I checked it out in the earlier days of, of me checking out Profound Lore. I was pretty amateurish in my appreciation of death metal at the time. So if it wasn't like... If it wasn't like death or like Nile, like I didn't really care. Uh, <laughs> or like at the or at the gates or something like that. Even though I think there's death is a, a, a clear like uh, inspiration, like the you know individual thought patterns there at death, like I I hear that here on some level. But no, I, I'm sure I just skipped over it and was like, nah, not great, cool, but not for me. I, I think that's quite fair. They're, they're a band as well, which is like kind of very targeted for me at the time because it's such a bass heavy mix. I love good bass playing and. I hadn't heard yeah. a band rely that much on bass guitar to make a heavy sound. And it's interesting as well, you sort of, in my head, I've always categorized them as more of a black metal band, but they have so many death metal traits. I think yeah. calling them death metal is a very fair summary as well. It's just they've almost got a black metal aesthetic. They're very occulty. Totally. Their album covers are very, um, yeah, these strange, like this one is this interesting kind of black and white thing with all these nautiluses and interesting shapes of lots of stuff that seems to have big significance, but I can never quite understand. Like most of the tracks in this album, I don't think they're real words half the titles. Like it's, or at least or it's that real, like absolute level of like bizarre chaos magic <laughs> stuff we'll never truly understand. And all their arms sort of have that theme. They've been going for quite a while. I think they were about in the early 90s. But they've wow. only put out four albums, I, I guess, because everyone is... Like, if you look up each member, they're in, like, ten other bands, like, on top of, you know, something as huge and influential as Mournful Congregation. 
it's really true what you're saying about bands that are where the the esoteric like magic with a k you know all this like history like hidden history of civilization uh mythology like mythology like all these esoteric like bands who are into that almost i can almost always regardless of what subgenre they're playing there's like i feel like black metal is some is somewhere at play somewhere in there like it's true of absu who is largely a black metal band but like also super threat like thrash yeah yeah mournful congregation not not a black metal band they're they're clearly a funeral doom band but there is something like blackened about what they do um does damon play bass in mournful congregation too so yeah he's like i think he's a major player in the band he's credited on most albums with bass guitar and vocals so i think he's i think he might be like the main man behind that but i am i am guessing on that front god i love that i love that band so much (laughs) their their last two albums are just i just always go back to them all the time yeah so you know for me the 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 part that you were talking about where everything kind of where the metal subsides (laughs) is absolutely incredible <laughs> holy shit like the bass playing is so outstanding like the, it's this very chill instrumental break in the song uh the bass is like just leading the whole show during this part it's it's very jazzy i mean these he's got to have jazz chops is he, is he playing a fretless yeah i think he plays a fretless finger style with this band which gives it this very smooth kind of so you know i think he uses he must use a pick for some of those because the pace he gets on other parts i am not quite sure how he produces it but he plays at moments incredibly fast but it also sounds really smooth i don't know i never quite worked out how he creates that sound yeah i mean he I, he seems to me to be in the mold of those great tech death bass players from the 90s i'm not saying that's like the only the only influence going on but like you know your cynics your atheists and i don't think they sound a hell of a lot like atheist or cynic although i could see cynic doing some kind of like similar <laughs> instrumental break like this where things get the the, the mood changes so much i mean it, it becomes this i don't know i don't even know how to describe it it's, it's hard to attach like an emotion to it it's <laughs> yeah like, really really alien kind of thing I love, uh, I love, I loved it so much. I, I listened to this entire album um, for the first time after you recommended this, and it was just so solid from front to back. I loved it. I, I guess, at least according to rate your music, and you know, sometimes I rely too heavily on on the kind of user reviews there. But it seems like the album before this is also like very much a fan favorite too. Right? Honestly, everything this band had put out, maybe the the latest album slightly less so, I think has been brilliant. Uh, the the first first three albums are all excellent and then yeah that debut is that debut i think is quite legendary because you know they, they were doing something very original and each album is more or less this again they they their sound doesn't change greatly but they because they're throwing in so many weirdo ideas in there it's sort of there's always something fun to find on each album like this is the first one where you get stuff like that bass break we're talking about it's the first time they tried something quite that like out there and as big a departure but yeah I think really, if you you dig this sound, this is a band that's well worth just go back to the first album and listen forward. You'll you'll find like which one's got the exact mix you like the most. I mean, this one gets some flack because it's it's an album actually one of the rare ones I'll bring this up for of like only listen to this on good headphones. It's something about because of the way it's trying to put so much low end in the as the, the kind of front portion of the the kind of sound. If you listen to this like in a low quality rip through crap speakers it's it just completely flattens it and it sounds awful and it's it's really interesting i haven't noticed an album quite so bad as this one for 
like if you don't have a good subwoofer or, or good headphones, it just doesn't pop in the way it does to like, yeah, if, if you do, it's uh, which is it's just interesting. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could, I could definitely see that being the case in terms of the sound and how forward they put the the bass here. It's interesting. This is 2010. I mean, this this style of this style of metal was not. It, it, this would go if this came out now, and was like like let's say build as like a new band or something like that, or not even build as a new band. This came out on like twenty bucks spin today. Like this would this would get all kinds of praise. You yeah. Know? So there's there's a little bit of timing here, and this kind of what I respect about profound lore is they don't give a shit about trends. <laughs> <laughs> they just they just don't it just when it when it comes it comes and if it gets recognized uh later on then great but otherwise like it's 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 in the canon you know yeah exactly and uh, it's funny it's one of those arms i definitely got into off of one of those like too weird for its own good reviews where i was like oh i've got to hear this now then <laughs> like it was like quite a kind of middling review of it um but at the end just sort of um made it sound interesting enough and i could i like so i think the the general like critical reception when it came out was extremely lukewarm but um yeah i, I, I they're a band i hope find a bit more of an audience now like, i think some of their other projects like cauldron black ram um which both guitar yeah. and bassist uh are in is kind of taking off also um worth noting as well that damon plays bass on the um all the early like pre-album blood incantation stuff so he's the bass player for is interdimensional oh, really? extinction like he's a guest player on all of those uh-huh so yeah he's got a he's got a he's got a hook up to a really big band at the moment yeah i was gonna say for recommends if you like if you haven't heard these guys like if you like blood incantation void ceremony bed sore like a lot of that de- death metal that's coming out on 20 bucks spin like this yeah go 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 to stargazer <laughs> like you're, you're, you're gonna be really happy i think this is gonna go over really well and also you know I think sometimes this happens with with uh, bands where there is a particular musician you love, who is just so brings so much you know interesting ideas and versatility, and owns an instrument like on every album he plays on. Like Damon in this category, it's kind of like a John John Cobbett effect where you just want to check out everything that they have their hands on their hands in, um, even if it's even if it's a lot or. You, you know, if it's more manageable and it's just a few bands. So um, I always appreciate when I like I like singling out sometimes uh, musicians who are, you know, polyamorous and in, in, in regards to bands <laughs> that they want to that they want to participate in, and have a lot of te- skills to lend without having to be like fully engulfed in the band either. So, yeah, yeah. this is one of those categ- categories where you f- follow a musician's trail. You're going to it's going to lead you to a very, very awesome place. And I think what's fascinating about that guy as well is he's not even like a bass player in a lot of his projects. He's a guitarist for most of the other bands he's what? in. Yeah, it, it's crazy. Yeah, because he just seems like such a natural bass player. I know we're focusing on him. Everyone else in this album is great. The drum and guitar uh, performance yeah, yeah. are very good totally. as well. But yeah, he is just the standout part. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, look, this is a, this is a, a band. This is for this is uh, several members. But uh, with when you hear this bass break, like, they're that's that's the basis, like, taking some leadership. Yeah, you know what I mean, and 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 laying it down. So I mean, we can't we can't ignore that either. Yeah, this was awesome. I'm I'm glad I'm glad we have uh, something of this style in in here um, for sure. I'm glad you've gone so well with it. <laughs>
Last one. And I think I seem to have maybe fucked up the order of the tracks in my mind, like in terms of like like a heavy, miserable doom stuff is in the front or whatever. <laughs> but I certainly could not have put this towards the beginning. This is this is the last track. I have a theme on my show. I always put the uh, I always reserve the last track for something that's, that's a bit special to reward people who stick through to the end. Um, so this is Bell Witch. This is the, the only track from the album Mirror Reaper. Uh, this is a extremely long song. It's an hour and 23 minutes. Um, the song has, uh, a, you know, a, a couple riffs, but it's not many. It's incredibly slow moving. It's, it's absolutely gargantuan. This band is from Seattle. I think they live in Portland now. Um, it's from 2017. It is a third full length. They are a bass and drum duo, Dylan Desmond and Jesse Schreibman. The actually the founding drummer vocalist uh, Adrian uh, Guerra passed away in 2016. Um, so Mirror Reaper was the first collaborative album writing project with the new lineup. Um, the band is also aided by Eric uh, Magridge of the group uh, of the band Ariel Ruin, who does the kind of clean vocals in the middle section um, of the album. I'm, I'm sure you knew of this one, Phil. I feel like if you're into extreme metal, everybody had a take or opinion on this, and it was pretty <laughs> divisive, I will say. <laughs> yeah, I remember when this came out, getting into a lot of, of debates with people, because I would put Bellwitch loosely in the category of, like, Funeral Doom, or they're, they're related to that idea. Like they, they have that level of, like, very long-form songwriting. And I remember it getting a lot of critical pannings from people like, Oh, it's, you know, it's too slow, too long. And it's just like the frustration going like, yeah, but you don't listen to Funeral Doom. This is like you diving into a sepulchre and being like, oh, it's too thrashy. Like, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> it's what it is. Like, and the the big thing I always, always say to people with, with a band like Bellwitch is they're not the start point for this genre. They they are a fantastic example of it. But you you got to ease in. I'd maybe go for like an Ahab or something a bit more digestible first. As you mentioned, this is one 83-minute long song. That shouldn't be the first Funeral Doom track you listen to in full. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people who hear the name Bellwitch and want to get into them would feel compelled to start with this album because because of its notoriety, uh, because it was so well-praised and reviewed despite being divisive, uh, particularly over people who didn't have much context for Funeral Doom. But the uh, previous two Bellwitch albums are, yes, there's are long tracks on them, but it's more digestible. I mean, you know, both albums have, you know, at least four or five songs and, you know, anywhere from like, you know, maybe eight minutes upwards to 20 minutes on the tracks. So, But I, I get people are probably just going to start here because this this is just the one. Oh, it's the legendary um, I, one, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know you love um, you love album covers a lot, and you you, you, you highlight that. Um, what do you, what, what do you have to say about this one? Oh yeah, it, like well, the, the tragic news like earlier this week. It's uh, it's yesterday. I yeah, think. it's I think it was yesterday. Yeah, so this is this is the the cover that put um, artist Marius Lewandowski on the map. It, it for good reason. It's an amazing fold out cover where both side of it is utterly spectacular. Like. People bought this album who didn't even like it because they wanted to own vinyl of this art. It's that good. Like, the guy has this this really distinct epic style. And yeah, he, he, although there was sort of, you know, people were worried he was appearing too much and stuff because he was so good. Every band wanted a cover from him. Like, he is going to have left a mark on an era of very epic metal, I think. Um, 
like he, yeah, he's going to be remembered forever because of these covers because so many of them are so memorable. And I think Mirror Reaper is is some of his best work. Like it is beautiful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I I, I don't know when when uh, Lewandowski passed, but I saw yesterday all over social media a lot of like outpouring of uh, um, appreciation for his stuff, particularly from the bands who who um, you know commissioned him to to do art for them. You know, bands like I just. I think Mismore has done uh, uh, an album with him. Fuming Mouth, Atramentus as well. I I do have this thing sometimes when I see his when I see his work after this Bell Witch album, where I'm like, oh, it's just it's just it's kind of it's just the colors and stuff always remind me of the Bell Witch album. There's a certain and I'm only speaking to like the the few that I know, but it's very like, yeah, you're right. You know, you can't separate this art from the album. I think, but he has this very dark, like surreal kind of style. It reminds me of, um, do you know the other uh, Polish artist and painter? Uh, what is his name? Zdzislaw Belinsky, Belasinski. Oh, I've uh, seen his. Style? I'm not not familiar with the name, but uh, it might be something if I saw the art, I'd, I'd automatically recognize it. I think you would. I think it's been used by. I think he he's he's been passed away for quite some time, and I think some very underground metal artists have probably just <laughs> taken yeah. taken his stuff and used it as their own. I wouldn't. I feel like Grave Miasma might have even done might have uh, done that, but they might have also le- like legitimately um, gotten the rights to it too. But I, I I just don't really remember exactly. But yeah, um, this is this is such an epic album cover and and. The, you know the music itself i mean it, how many times do you think you've is this an album that you've like spun all the way through like a, a ton of times or is it just something you come back to like very rarely it, it's something i put on like once every six months or so I'll, I'll go back to this so yeah like it you know we're coming out what is it like 2017 was this um yeah 2017 yes. um yeah so I, I've, I've listened to it a good like 15 15 20 times through which i i think for an album this sort of this much of a commitment, you you kind of you if once you start it, you kind of got to finish it. Which for an eighty minute album is, is quite a lot. So I come back to it a fair amount. Um, I think the the issue I have is I do find Four Phantoms to be, I think, the slightly superior album. It's just it's less interesting to talk about because it's not this monumental like one track experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have a hard time between. Four Phantoms in this album. I, I, don't, I don't know which one I appreciate more. For it's interesting. Four Phantoms was um, written with uh, with the original, I believe, drummer. Yeah, so um, drummer, and I, I think he, I believe, he did the harsh vocals as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think you know a, a distinction between Bellwitch and a lot of other Funeral Doom. This is much. This is more minimal than mm. most Funeral Doom. It's got the duration in common, and it's got like the really the mournful kind of soul crushing, emotional aspects um, in common with a lot of Funeral Doom. But it, it's it's minimal. I mean, in terms of co- composition, number, and diversity of riffs, how long it takes to get from one section to the next. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's why I say it's like the kind of not the entry point. It's the extreme end of that slow and sp- I don't know how I'm going to do a snippet of this album. I'm just going to put that out there. I'll figure it out, people. Uh, maybe I'll try and combine some snippets together. Maybe I should just append the entire track to the end of this episode. So it's like a six-hour episode. <laughs> uh, definitely not going to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I love this album 
upon first listen. Like I, I, I really did. And I don't think that I listened to it like right away. I think I was like, oh, great. Another Bell Witch album. I'm going to check that out. And then I saw a lot of the discourse about the album. And I think a lot of the people who love this album, I get really excited about about talking about it. Um, I do think this is this is an incredibly powerful composition, like especially for for metal and extreme metal. I wonder if it's raised elevated the profile of funeral doom i don't know if we have any kind of gauge on that at all but... i think so i think it has got more people to sort of go towards that and be up for those experiences i remember the band touring this and they basically played this in full as their headline set often like a kind of condensed like 60 minute version of the piece but you know it, it like wasn't cutting too many chunks and because we we haven't actually spoken about the the I guess gimmick of the band of they don't have a guitarist it's a bass player and drummer yeah. and I think people experiencing it live got a lot more from it because you watch what Dylan Desmond is doing and realise how complex his parts are in this this somewhat sparse music that he's doing all these clever things using tapping to create like two melodies at once one high and one low which appears on this and but this album isn't really done. I don't believe it's a lot of loops. I think it's mainly playing everything kind of almost live um, with a with the biggest pedal board I have ever seen. I think, I think the pedal board he has to create these myriad tones he uses was about six foot long. It was absolutely ridiculous bit of kit. I, mean, I couldn't work out what half the stuff in it was, but yeah, he he, he, he does this amazing work of, of adding so many effects to the point where, to a casual listener, you wouldn't immediately know there's no guitar in there. I agree. You would not think that there there wouldn't be a guitar. Yeah, you really need to see them live or watch video. So you saw them. You saw them perform this. Yeah. Live? So um. So actually, like Belcher band, like very luckily, um, Rob, who I used to sort of host the podcast with early on, was big into their yeah. first album. So we were kind of into them quite early on, and I saw them touring for Phantoms. And I have no like. Sadly, I don't remember whether that was with Adrian or with the the newer drum, drummer. But that was like one of the weirdest gigs I've ever seen because it was them doing a dual headliner with Ulcerate, which is the most mood oh, wow. whiplash, like uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> it was brilliant, but yeah. And then I, I could see it. Yeah, they, they, they they have the same energy, I guess. It's just one is so fast <laughs> and one is so slow. Very serious metal people at that show. Yeah, yeah there wasn't a lot of smiling. Um, You're not- <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I saw that, and then which was more of a kind of loose show they did you know a couple of 10 minute songs and then saw them headlining playing this in full and that was a very intense experience where you you know you just had to be in there and in that zone for for over an hour it's um but there's there's so much going on so much to look at it and you know they they fully create the atmosphere they manage on the album live it was yeah it was really good when you saw them do Mirror Reaper, did they by chance play with um, Eric uh, from Aerial Ruin? No, they were just playing as a two-piece. I think just some. I think there was a little bit. I back, it's a long time ago now. This was back in I think 2017. I think there was a little bit of backing track for some of those, some of those cleans and some of those like a, like couple of like little layer things that are in the album. Yeah, the organ too. Mm. Right? There's a lot of organ in this album. I don't know that 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 was being played live uh, in a live setting. And I just don't know how they would pull that off. No, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I may, maybe he's through his like his crazy effects loop, but I, I, I'm not. He's doing it with his doing it with his feet somehow. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, <it's just laughs> no, he's only human. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say, one of my notes is I'm very fascinated with how the bassist gets that high-pitched tone because it's very different from, from all other funeral doom um, and I know that you're you're a bass player, and I know that you're probably still. You mentioned you're confounded <laughs> by the, the the pedal setup that's happening there. But I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've heard such like high pitched ringing tones from. I think he plays a six. He does. Right? So he does have that that very high string, which I think that that highest string is essentially like the lowest string on a normal like a standard tuning guitar. So that, that gives you some high. But I I wonder if he's got like an octave of pedal that's like like pushing it to that volume because that's that's the thing that really stops you thinking there's just bass on the album and they get those notes you're like a bass can't do that or at least i've never heard a bass do that without augmentation and you wouldn't in a normal band setting you wouldn't bother doing it on the bass because you've got a guitarist right there who can just do that but yeah so dylan's onto something very interesting with that yeah it's it's i mean i, I had it written down that it's it's very ghost-like in terms of the tones especially when it's in parts of the album where it just where it just goes down just to bass and you just hear a very delicate very like reverbed out bass just those those tones are are you could tell they're belabored over i this guy must have spent hours and hours and hours arrive like trying to arrive at like the the perfect tones here and i know that the um, a quote of the band like they're one, I, I don't know too much about like the subject material and, them, and thematic sort of concept behind the band, but I know that like a big part of that is, is ghosts and the perception of ghosts um, in terms of life and death. Um, and I don't know that they go too heavy on explaining that, but just even having that little morsel of information kind of does does open up some things for from the band sonically yeah i think you're you're really on to something there there is a very ethereal nature to this it all sounds far away and kind of surreal like it the, the if you you listen to this like really sit down do nothing else like in the dark it is a strange experience kind of and the, the, even the vocals particularly the cleans are quite ghostly and off in the distance in the mix like and then the the screams are not like the evoking where it's like this really growly like in your face sound they're 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 very low and like deep in the mix and kind of sound a little inhuman but not in a brutal way they're just far off and and strange like yeah like yeah rumblings from the ether Absolutely. I, I saw them um, one time. They opened up for Sleep on, like, Sleep's, uh, you know, their their last latest album that they put out a few years ago. So they had a huge tour, and Sleep is, like, bigger than ever, right? So they're playing this huge place um, down in Phoenix. Like, and Bell Witch was opening, and everybody in the room was, they looked confused <laughs> because there's a lot of people there that are just there. They're just there for Sleep, and they're not necessarily into extreme metal. You don't have to be into any kind of extreme metal to be into sleep, right? Bellwitch, they they stole the show. I mean, and I love sleep. They were louder than sleep, which is like <laughs> <laughs> quite quite impossible like feat to pull off. I pleased that sleep was okay with this, you know, as like the as the opening band. They were louder than sleep. They made the whole place just like rumble, and I was just like looking around because I'm like, okay, I love this. I get this. I'm into it. I know that there's other people here who are here to see Bellwitch. There's people who are seeing this for the first time and probably like incredibly like impressed too but it was just so they were doing mirror reaper and i don't know if they're doing an even shorter version than the one you were speaking of it seemed like it was maybe about 45 minutes or an hour 
but people were i mean everyone at the sleep show is stoned like that's <laughs> yeah. just how it goes with sleep so I, I wonder how many of them were just like just being hypnotized by bellwitch at the time or whatever but i know that as soon as their set ended a lot of people just felt super like bummed <laughs> out including some of my friends who don't like really listen to extreme metal but were there because they like sleep we're just like, wow, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I, God, like, I need to go home. Yeah, I can't imagine watching that in a setting with people who aren't sort of prepped for it. You know, like, yeah, every time I've seen them, also as well, it's been on such a small scale. Like that Ulcerate gig, I think there was like 20 people there. It was like, oh, really? yeah, it was absolutely dead. Whereas same venue for the Mirror Reaper one, and that was like packed, like absolutely rammed, like completely sold out. Which which was nice. It was really good to see the band sort of getting their dues, and I'm sure um, Ulcerate returning as well. Like um, the difference between them in 2016 and them in 2018 is like they're both bands that have really taken off in that time period. Um, and yeah, it was it was amazing to watch with that crowd. But that was a crowd who fully knew what they were getting into. Yeah, absolutely. I I've seen a couple live videos on YouTube of them playing this song with um with Eric. Oh, nice. Who does like you know the fifty minute mark where where kind of like the heaviness subsides and the album really takes on a very different light at this time. Like Eric Eric is doing the vocals. He's got this like clean, uh you know falsetto kind of despondent kind of like uh, voice. It but provides a little like. Again, a little like the way Evoken does. It's a little bit of like hope mm. in like what is otherwise a totally despondent, like <laughs> crushing track. I this is my favorite part of the, of the whole song, honestly. Like I, I I think that this part is very um uh, it's so emotionally impactful. And if you see pull up some YouTube videos where they're playing with Eric, with Eric live, it's like it's really like it's really amazing to watch and i know that bellwitch and Ariel ruin ended up doing another album later on on profound lore album which i am ashamed to say to this day i have not checked it out i was realized that the other day i was like fuck i need to what am i doing that came out at least three two or three years ago it's been a while i i completely missed it as well at, at the time um yeah it's um yeah, I'd, I would have loved to have seen them with that that, that sort of three piece lineup, but they they did this very well, well as a two piece as well. Like um, that that sort of really worked. Yeah, he's a he's a phenomenal bass player. Like it, like what you're saying, what he what he's doing in a in a in a live context is so intricate. Like it seems like it's flashy because it's a six string, and I know the technique obviously takes a tremendous amount of like uh, nimbleness and grace and skill and stuff like that. But it's usually when you see a six string like bass yeah. like that, you're expecting some fucking be taking a shred town and that's just the opposite here yeah it's it's very very subtle and restrained another little detail i wanted to mention this album which i've always thought was really nice is um so i think adrian guerrero their old drummer and harsh vocalist passed away kind of somewhat unexpectedly at least that's the impression i got and they had some vocal recordings of stuff he was doing for the upcoming album. And they've managed to, I think they weren't necessarily exactly what is designed for this, but they managed to work them in, in parts. So he still gets like a kind of posthumous guest performance on this, which I thought was a really, a really cool notion, especially you say in, in an album that's so kind of themed around ghosts and that that sort of idea mm. it's it sort of it just thematically incredible and and a really lovely tribute to have him still sort of be involved in their their biggest release i remember reading that detail a, a while back and forgot to put that in my notes for this so I'm, I'm super glad you brought that up yeah that 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 adds a whole nother uh ghostly quality to to the album yeah that's that thanks for bringing that up <laughs> 
that's everything I have I have to say about about uh, Mirror Reaper by Bowich. I think it's in terms of the profound lore canon. This was just another one that was just a a wild success, and I'm glad that the that the label. You know, I, it's crazy that such an extreme album can have can can kind of break through to even other subgenres of metal. Yeah, yeah, it really is. All right, let's. Um, we're we're going to listen to just a, a snippet or two of Mirror Reaper from Bellwitch and then come back for um, honorable mentions, and uh, then we'll get out of here.
right, Phil, we did it uh, <laughs> once again. Let's get into honorable mentions really quick. Again, this is so hard to just stop talking about this label, but there's just, <laughs> there's too much good shit. Yeah. Um, we got to start picking labels that are like only like a year old, and we could just like go just run through everything really really quickly what were the albums that were that were hard for you to kind of leave off the list so it, it the stuff i sort of avoided and i think people who've listened to my podcast for a while know a few obvious ones it, artificial brain is is an obvious choice I, i've i've talked about them to death but i i think they are truly incredible and so i i took some time away from new music this year and have just got back to it and that new artificial brain album i i've only listened to it twice but it seems to be rather special like the the self-titled that was one that um really had trouble avoiding the, the others we've we sort of mentioned a few of them uh Ludicra was a big one um and the the dawnbringer album nucleus is is another that like i i listened to that album constantly but again i i've i've covered it to death <laughs> I don't know anybody else who likes who like talks about that album. Yeah, it, to be it's honest. really unknown. And despite the connections, like the guy's all over the place in terms of like he's in Pharaoh, he's played on like Macmistium albums, like you know, mm-hmm. he's got all these connections. But yeah, that project just really flew under the radar. Yeah, I think his name's Chris Black. Chris Black he's, like yeah. a, he's kind of veteran veteran of the Chicago uh, metal scene. Has been yeah, like you're saying, been so many bands that 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 is such a such a great album such a unique album um it like shuffles through every single like the whole history of heavy metal in like in like one hour (laughs) it's insane (laughs) were there any any others on your list i don't know if i i think we've we've more or less spoken about every every one of my my favorites from uh from uh profound law how about yourself yeah i mean i've i've mentioned yob Cobalt and Ludicra, those three albums. I think that Le- the Scar Sighted by Leviathan is a is a crazy, twisted, really intense album. So I'm I'm a big fan of that one. An album that that you you brought this to my attention that I uh, I am a really really big fan of, but I just I just don't go very deep with this particular artist. Prurient, uh, Frozen Niagara Falls was um, an album that came out on Profound Lore. Um, several years ago, it was actually a really successful album for Profound Lore. I think Pitchfork gave it a Best New Music, and it was. And it's not a metal album; it's a noise album. But you know, there's been associations between uh, the the lead artist uh, Dominic Furnow and his label, The Hospital Productions. There's just some really highly questionable people, mm. to put it lightly, who are openly into very dog shit like ideologies. <laughs> um, so I guess you know, tread where you're comfortable on that one. Really, did, had no idea, but you know. It does sit as being like a, an album that I do listen to a few times a year and that I, I think did mark a big shift in profound lore um, in terms of the scope of the music that they would release. I think a lot of like dark wave and goth and industrial music really followed like after that prurient album. So maybe that was a little bit of like a, a litmus test there. Um, the last album that I'm going to say, um, this is a one that I don't ever really rarely ever see talked about. It's a group called The Angelic Process. The album is called Weighing Souls with Sand, and it is it is a uh, difficult-to-explain album. It's it's almost like a doom metal and shoegaze record that is absolutely has one of the most suffocating atmospheres I've ever listened to on an album. And it's like through not it's through like a lot of compression, I think. And this can be a big turnoff for people, but it is it is a really beautiful, super sad, super miserable album this is what profound lore just excels at um for (laughs) for whatever reason and i think that's my like underrated pick for um 
for checking out you know some other stuff on the album that's kind of like fallen off the wayside it was one of the earlier releases but um yeah i think that that's gonna do it for us phil thank you so much for for joining me for this one um i appreciate all of your insights and preparation like i know this was a lot of work oh you know thanks so much for having me it's a really fun group of albums to cover and yeah like really fun to go for them i hope listeners aren't too too pissed off at the the eight we picked and as we stated this is a hard one to choose from yeah i mean if you're going into this episode blind and like, let's say you're not even a metal fan. This is <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be really challenging. If you know Profound Lore, you're into it. Then hopefully this just serves as like a, uh, you know, two two people's opinions on like what they appreciate from here. So obviously, like you know, email or contact. But we're both on social media. Uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal, Sonic Cloth. If you want to talk to us um, after this goes live about your favorite uh, Profound Lore releases, you know, uh, please rate and review and subscribe both to to Phil's Breakfast Metal podcast. And then do the same for the Sonic Cloth. Maybe you're here as a new listener because the, the profound lore thing lured you in. Um, so hopefully hopefully we'll reconvene for another heavy music label episode in the near future. I, w- I would really like to make this an ongoing thing if you're down. Yeah, these are great fun. I'd love to do this again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, there's plenty of labels out there to choose from. So um, and I, we've talked about a few of them here today. And then I'm sure there's many others that, that you're into. So thanks so much, Phil. It's always a pleasure catching up with you and, and talking music. All right, fantastic. Talk to you soon. All right, everyone. Till next time.